Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Is it just me that doesn't understand the whole thing about Super Bowl fellas staying up till 3 o'clock in the morning to watch a match that they don't understand because it takes about half an hour to play 5 minutes and they're all talking about it this morning Super Bowl this, did you see the Super Bowl I'm sitting up at the Super Bowl, I had the popcorn, I had the beer and stuff at the Super Bowl, I went to bed 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinion996 and of course uh, Facebook. Get us through Facebook with the Quarks 96FM Facebook page. It's a year ago today. Well, it was a year ago Saturday, strictly speaking, but a year ago today on the date that we went voting in the general election a year ago we didn't have a pandemic then we didn't have the kind of lockdown we live with we did none of that then we had an election and we had a count and we had total and utter confusion for months and months afterwards and I'm not we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this this morning but if you have any thoughts on uh, how you voted this time last year. Are you satisfied with it? Did you get what you wanted when you voted the way you did this time last year? Just a thought. Wait, three, three ninety six, ninety six, ninety six. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Any good thoughts? Happy to have them. Read this story yesterday uh, in The Independent and I thought, if this man is struggling uh, with the lockdown, then there's no hope for the rest of us because he's one of the most upbeat and positive in fact I would say if you allow me to use the term Keith Barry annoyingly positive people that I've ever met Keith good morning hey PJ how are you alright you would be one of the most annoying irritatingly (laughs) positive people one could ever meet but this got to you big time didn't it yeah well I think I, I, I suppose people have to understand that entertainers um, you know, and people in different industries were all pretty much the same when it comes to our emotions. So, yeah, I mean, this time last year, well, actually March 10th for me, I was on stage in the Olympia playing to a packed house and then the next day I was told I had to cancel the rest of the dates of my tour, which actually Cork was one of them. Um, and then that was that. Uh, you know, and it kind of, for me, 
you know, the first week or 10 days were grand. Obviously, you know, like everybody else, I just saw it as a bit of a holiday. And then after that, I just found myself being really anxious for the first time ever in my life and not really knowing what was going to happen was really kind of taking a toll on me. So, yeah, for about six weeks, um, I suppose, call it what you will, anxiety, feeling down, um, and I was really cranky, and I'm, I'm not that kind of person normally. You know, I'm, I'm a very, as you said, I actually am a positive individual, and I've kind of programmed myself to be that way. Um, but certainly for those six weeks, it wasn't good. You know, what was what was fueling that thought process? Was it how long is this going to last? Will there be other, ever be an end to it? Because if we'd if we'd known then what we know now, we'd probably all have gone into a massive funk. I'd say for weeks on end. Yeah, well, I think it was twofold. Like, one is, a lot of people don't know this about me. I'm actually a scientist. So I graduated from NUIG, which is uh, actually was UCG back in my day. And I graduated with an honours chemistry degree. So I rang kind of a bunch of science friends that I have. And I said, look, what's your opinion on this coronavirus thing? And and it was uh, right back then, they all did express it to me as kind of doom and gloom. So that kind of brought me down a bit. Um, And then, yeah, it was uh, for me, it was loss of purpose. Because for me... Uh, you know, since I'm 14, I've been on stage pretty much every single week of my life. So that's 30 years doing the same thing every week. Um, and that was taken away. And then for entertainers specifically, it's the unknown. Like, we still don't know. We have no clue when we'll be back on stage. And so that kind of really hit me that, you know, losing that sense of purpose and that, uh, you know, that, uh, I suppose that enjoyment is in our DNA to be on that stage as part of us. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, after that six weeks, luckily I, I kind of figured out a way and I've pivoted online. So that kind of has replaced um, those feelings now and, and look, life is pretty good, you know? Yeah. You had a bit of money that you could invest in in going online for yourself. I'll get, I'll get to that in a little while. But, but getting into that mental spot that you were in for, for six weeks, I mean, was it something that you worried about? Did, did you worry about how, how, how dark it was going to get? Not for me, because look, uh, uh, luckily for me, I don't suffer from, you know, you know, depression uh, and I don't, I've never gone to a really dark place, but I, I can relate to people like that. Um, and people have got those troubles and do go to that dark place. And I can relate to them twofold. Like one is I'm actually behind the scenes, a hypnotherapist an executive coach and a mind coach. So I work with people on their mental health quite a bit. Mm. Um, so I can relate to it from that perspective. And then the second uh, thing is like for me, when I, when I had those feelings, at least I could relate to them somewhat when I really understood then, you know, wow, this is what people actually feel like. And it's not a good space to get into. But, you know, as I mentioned to you, I didn't really go uh, to a, a very, very dark place because I started to practice what I preach on myself. So I had to do a huge, what I call cognitive reframe, which yeah. is a, a technique that I use on clients. Um, and then I use creative visualization coupled with hypnosis to just bring myself back to being that annoyingly positive person, as you put it, you know? Yeah, you, you built yourself a, a studio to take your work online. And actually, that's that's worked out big time for you. Yeah, it kind of saved me. Like you mentioned, look, I had to invest quite a bit of money into it, uh, not knowing whether that money would just flush down the toilet or not. But look, I had to try. And I think for a lot of people out there, what we all need is hope. And whatever hope means to you. Um, and look, I don't particularly think our government has given us a huge amount of hope at this moment in time. Certainly, if you think about a jobbing entertainer down there in Cork, like somebody who uh, works hand to mouth and they're feeding their family off of, you know, weddings and performing. At I know clubs dozens and clubs. of them. 
Kate. Yeah, Dozens and same. And I know yeah. all the technicians out there, they're out of work. And they don't know when they're going to be back either. Um, so it's so difficult for people out there. But, you know, for me, I pivoted online. And, uh, you know, I, again, not knowing whether it would work or not. But towards the end of the summer, I started to pick up an odd gig here and there in the virtual space. And then luckily for kind of the last three months of last year, I ended up performing online every single day for the likes of Google, Comcast, PayPal, Dell, Amazon, all of the big kind of tech corporates, and then a lot, a lot of pharma corporates, and then some of the smaller doing corporations what? in Ireland as well. Um, so it's a mixture of pure virtual entertainment, but then also motivational keynotes, inspirational keynotes, keynotes on leadership. Um, I have one keynote called Redefine the Impossible, which is based around my experience through the, the pandemic, and I suppose the concept being that, you know, uh, anybody has the ability to pivot and do other things if they really just redefine the impossible and reorientate their minds, you know? Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the, the, the mental health element of it. You had your own, if you like, you dipped your toe in the water and you were able yeah. to get back out of it, which is great. But I hear, you know, day in, day in, week in, week out, and, and I've been, we did a whole program about it here. Like, this is the toughest one. This particular lockdown mark three, as it were, this is the hardest. A lot of people are very fed up. I mean, myself, I've been uh, trying to keep a positive head on my shoulders throughout this. This is the hardest of them all this particular lockdown and people are a lot, a lot of people are struggling worse worse than than I am or worse than anybody else what what well, how how do you for want of a better expression how do you muddle your way through that yeah look it's difficult but I, I do relate to people out there and I have a massive amount of empathy for people I think our government could do with learning some empathy skills from the perspective of you know, just putting their mindset into the mindset of people who are at home and perhaps have already struggled with mental health difficulties and then are going through this difficult time. Um, and I think, look, there's a couple of things that you can do. One is, as I mentioned, cognitive reframing. And basically what that is, is looking at the, the moment that you're in from a different perspective. Um, so for me, I looked into my past and I realized that I'd been through a lot worse times than the pandemic even now even though we've been in it for a year you know i was in a massive car accident where my left leg was five minutes from amputation um then the following year our daughter was born with herbs palsy which is a, a paralyzed arm now luckily we managed to heal that but she had a paralyzed arm for a long time um and she also had intermittent extratropia which is a, a an eye difficulty so look we had to solve that over time and then the following year my grandfather was killed in a botched robbery so when I looked at all of those different moments, I realized that those moments were far diff- more difficult than the moment we're in now. Mm. Now, and I think everybody has the ability to reframe. So you've got to stand, step outside the picture that you're currently in at the moment, which is the pandemic, and literally reframe it in your brain, uh, whatever that reframe means to you. It will be individual for every person. And then uh, the other thing I would say is, you know, you've got to just be kind, not to other people, but be kind to yourself at this moment in time. So, you know, I hear a lot of experts out there saying you've got to have structure in your life. And I do agree with that to a certain extent. But look, if you fall off the wagon on a Wednesday night and you end up having a couple of glasses of wine, don't beat yourself up for the rest of the week that you've had a a couple of glasses of wine. Or, you know, if you're eating uh, perhaps uh, on a diet right now that you don't ordinarily eat on, look, try your best to be on your, your, your healthy diet. But again, don't beat yourself up. I hear a lot of people beating themselves up by trying to be on these schedules. Um, but I think it's just about being kind to yourself. And again, if you if you do your best to reframe, which is to just take, like, I'll give you an example. So Tom Watson, 
was the founder of IBM, okay? Mm. And uh, I remember a story where an employee of his made a mistake and he cost the company $10 million at the time with that mistake. So he was 100% certain he was going to be fired and he walked into Tom Watson's office and he said, okay, you want me to hand in my resignation? And Tom Watson said, no, not at all. And he started laughing. Tom Watson started laughing. He said, we've just spent $10 million on your education. So that was a reframe in a business scenario where Tom Watson reframed the loss of that $10 million and decided to keep that employee and incentivize them. Now, you can do that in daily life as well. So, for example, in daily life, you might think, oh, God, not another day where I have to just empty the dishwasher. I hate emptying the dishwasher. <laughs> well, a yeah. simple reframe there would be, well, isn't the dishwasher amazing? It saves me it saves me 30 minutes every single day. And if I empty the dishwasher now, I'll be able to spend that extra 30 minutes helping the kids with their, their schoolwork or doing something that I love doing, perhaps reading a book or something. So they're, they're two examples of what I would call a cognitive reframe. Mm. And people have to start to try and use these tools and techniques to help themselves. Um, uh, because I agree with you, I think there's an avalanche of mental health uh, difficulties coming down the line from this. Um, and of course, people have to be able to reach out uh, you know, to different organizations that are out there. Mm. But yeah, I do think you have to try and help yourself also. You know, what, what people do, I think, find the hardest part of this one, Keith, is that when we had the first lockdown, we were told, OK, if we do this and we stick with it, then we'll get rid of this and we'll be OK. And then the second one came... And now the third one. And what has happened is that the finishing line has disappeared. We yeah. don't know where the end of this is. I mean, I we're now looking into a second summer without getting on a, on a sunshine holiday. We're looking at the kids out of school again. We're looking at jobs. Some people are never going to get their jobs back. There is no sign of a finishing line now. Whereas a year ago or less than a year ago, we were saying, OK, a few months and maybe a year. Yeah, well, if you look at Jacinta Ardern down in uh, New Zealand, like she's an amazing, strong leader. But more importantly, she's got a clear, concise plan and clear, concise deadlines that they're hitting down there. Um, and, you know, I, I hear a lot of excuses here as to, as to why we can't do this and why we can't do that from our own leaders. And I think that's very unfortunate because I think people look to leaders for hope, like you mentioned, and they need structure from that perspective. Like, so, for example, if we know by... I don't know, September, and I'm only saying that as a month, I'm no expert on the pandemic, but if it, it, they should know at this stage when we're going to gain that herd immunity. And if they do know, then they should be able to say, well, look, by then, if, if X happens, then Y will happen. And that Y can be, look, whatever, the hairdressers are open, the pubs are, but like you said, there's very little talk about that from our leaders and very little, um, you know, I suppose to look forward to. Uh, but again, for me, you've got to have that hope. And I think that's what people are looking for. It's just that hope. But I think you're going to have to plan that hope for yourself now. So for me, I'm just hoping that in August, I'll be able to go on a, a holiday in Ireland with the kids. So I've just booked camping uh, because it's a cheap thing to book. So if it gets cancelled, um, you know, it's 98 euros gone from my account. So it's not the end of the world. Mm. So, so that's what I think people need to do is plan small things that you can afford. Um, and uh, look, I think in 99% of the cases, if you're not able to go on, on your holiday here in Ireland, you'll get your money back anyway if it's due yeah. to COVID. So I think, you know, look to August maybe in the hopes that you can get out and and have that mini holiday around Ireland. And, and that'll just give you something to look forward to, PJ. Focus on the possible. Do. Yeah, yeah, look on the possible and then also give yourself some hope, something that you can look forward to. Um, and again, the other thing I would say to people is plan some fun every weekend right now. 
So I think people need to look have something to look forward to. So fun for me at the weekends right now is simple things in life, but I've got to plan them, otherwise I won't do them. So, uh, you know, a game, uh, you know, a game of Monopoly over a weekend with the, the two kids and the wife, and we play Cheaters Edition, which is even crazier, um, or we'll play Prudo, which is a dice game, and card games, and not just being sitting there, you know, looking at news or, you know, being distracted by the television, spending that quality family time together, I think is key, but planning that time. Because if you don't plan it, you know, everybody gets lazy and they'll just go on their phones, which is not good for your headspace either. Um, and then just get outside and, and throwing a frisbee around and stuff like that. They're the kind of fun things that I do every weekend with the family. But I plan those moments. And I think mm. you should plan those moments because, again, every week that'll just give you something small to look forward to. And those small things do add up yeah. um, and help your mind. Because the weekends have all kind of melded now. It's just a case of what's different about Saturday when I don't go to work. Yeah, absolutely. Like every day for me is pretty much the same. I walk out to my cabin in the back garden, which is my virtual studio. Uh, I spend 16 days, uh, 16 hours in there and then I walk back in uh, and it's like Groundhog Day. Uh, but for me, that's why I make the weekends a little bit different, a little bit more fun. I take that time off, spend it with the kids um, and it is healthy for your mindset. Um, and then for me, you know, resilience is built, built over time. You know, there's a lot of talk about resilience out there um, and resilience I've kind of built it over time because I've been doing this for a long time, but I do take cold showers every morning. Um, yeah. I know, exactly, right? Most people go, ugh. But actually, PJ, if you commit to it, you'll find that it dumps adrenaline, serotonin, and dopamine into your system first thing in the morning. So it gets you set up and prepped, ready for the day ahead. And you'll find it clears your mind because all you're thinking of is that freezing cold water. Uh, being dumped on your body. Yeah. It's actually really good for you. Yeah, I know. Come on, PJ, you can do it. <laughs> PJ, commit to your listeners right now. It's all, they know, take a cold it's all, all these morning. people see swimming as well, like in the freezing cold. They all mad or what? Can you tell me about your virtual brain hacking show for Valentine's Day? Yeah, really excited. So on Valentine's Day at 9 p.m., I put together a virtual Valentine's show because, look, we know everybody's going to be sitting at home anyway. So... Uh, I thought I'd put one on then. So I, I did one before Christmas and Halloween, and they were a great success. Um, so it's a fully immersive, interactive show. In other words, if you log on on the night, if you buy a ticket on the night and you log on, you will have your brain hacked or something will happen to you in your hands, in your house. So I've developed what I call macro effects. Uh, there's about two or three of those over the course of the show. So something uh, will happen that you can interact with. And then we pull people at random out of the gallery view and bring them up close and personal with me where I interact with them and uh, about 20 people will have that experience. Um, so it's as close to a theatre show that I can put together. We've been doing this a while now. And so as you mentioned, look, I invested in the equipment. So this is all shot in 4K HD quality and streamed with broadcast quality sound and stuff like that. So it's not your ordinary Zoom show. Like we, we've made a, a lot of effort to make this look different than anything else that's out there. We're very proud of it. So look, just for your listeners, I've put together a little promo code, a discount code. So if people go on today in the next 24 hours and just put in the number 96 where it says enter promo code on Eventbrite, you get eight euros off a ticket, which brings the ticket price down to less than 20 euros. And one ticket will suffice per house. So if you want to watch it with your partner, you can okay. watch it with your partner. But if you want to watch it with you know, the kids and, and three or four people, uh, one ticket will suffice. And, so, and how uh, do they find where to, where to buy the ticket? Yeah, you can go on to keithbarry.com or it's also up on eventbrite.ie. So if you go on to eventbrite.ie, type in my name, you'll find it there. Um, and again, uh, you put in that number 96, okay. you'll get the discount. But more importantly, PJ, little exclusive for you this morning. Go on. Later on today... 
I'm putting on a show for St. Patrick's Day. So 7 p.m. on St. Patrick's Day, there'll be another virtual show on. Uh, and if you use the same promo code later today, I'll also put that in, in the in the Eventbrite uh, promo code so you can use that code for both events. I'll, I'll mention that again at the end, but people are fascinated by this whole cold shower thing. I mean, even the prospect of it, like I started to shiver from the toes up. But I mean, like, doesn't it sort of want... The, the prospect of getting into a cold shower... like? How do you even motivate yourself to do yeah, that? Yeah, but, but you see, this is where people get it wrong. They start to think about it, and they start to think about the prospect of it and think about what it's going to feel like. And think, Stop thinking about it. Just make that decision, that decisive decision to get up, get in, turn, you know, start with it kind of lukewarm, and, but then whack it all the way down. And then for me, like, I don't, I like, okay, I'm a positive person, but I program myself this way. So I'm standing there. The kids think I'm mad, by the way, and the wife thinks I'm mad, but I'm standing there in the freezing cold shower. I mean, it's. it's For how like, long? It, uh, about three minutes I last. And I'm in there freezing cold, but I'm screaming, I control this body. I control this mind. No one else controls this body. That might sound a bit cuckoo and a bit out there and a bit weird. And what, 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 what time are you doing this? Uh, first thing in the morning. So, like, what time is first thing in the morning? Well, for me, half seven. If I start so just, that track at five past six, I'll be arrested. Uh, yeah, you can, no, no, you can do it, PJ. Look, and then if you wake up and the other people in the house, that's okay as well. Because here's the thing. Here's the if thing. you met my there's, wife. Well, there, there's two ways. Well, I haven't. I'd love to know. But listen, there's two ways that you can get up in the morning. You can get up, PJ, and you can hit the snooze button over and over and oh, over Oh, yeah, that's me. And, and then you can have a cup of coffee and say that you're cranky until you have your cup of coffee. Yep. And then you can run around the kids, try to get them homeschooled or whatever it is that you're doing. Or, so that's one way of getting up. Or you can get up and you can get into a freezing cold shower, which will wake you up, dump all that different chemicals into your body, natural chemicals, natural hormones, set yourself up for a day, listen to a motivational podcast or read a motivational book. And, you know, for just even the first 15 minutes of your day. Cold for the rest of the day, won't you? No, no, not at all. If you are cold, well, then you can do your exercise straight after, and then you can have another shower after, and you can have a, a warmer shower. You can do your star jumps, look at Joe Wicks, can't you? Come on, PJ. Commit oh, to it. you. Tomorrow oh. morning, give it a go, and then tell your listeners <laughs> yeah. what happens. My biggest problem is, and, and actually, I know there's a lot of people struggling with this at the moment, because it just came up on my social media. Normally, when I, when I wake up, I get up. Yeah. That is something that has gone out the window for me. During the pandemic, I, I'm banging this news button, I'm banging this news button. So I'm now setting an alarm at half past five so I can get up at six o'clock. <laughs> I, need, I need to be able to get up when I wake up. Give me a trick. Well, okay, so a little trick there is set your alarm for a minute later than you know you have to get up. So, for example, if you know that you've got to be out of the house at a certain time, PJ, to be in work there, or maybe you're working from home, I'm not even sure. But ultimately, uh, you know, if you know that you have to, if so here's a good example. Like, we're all working online now. So if, you, if you've got to be on a Zoom call by, like, 9.15 a.m., and you've got to have at least a cup of coffee before that, that's going to take you at least five minutes, and then five minutes to rest. So I would suggest, the, instead of setting the alarm for half eight, set the alarm for, like, 9.01. Because then you know, that's it, you're out of time. So when that alarm goes off, bing, you're up out of bed and you're running and you're at it. So I would say just whatever your deadline is, go right to the deadline and only set the alarm for that time. But again, I would say to people, look, you have to try and put structure in, but I'm way more, I suppose, concerned is the wrong word, but I'm way more focused on the fact, be kind to yourself. If you're sleeping or in your pyjamas uh, or hanging around in your pyjamas half the day, that's okay. 
you know, I think at this moment in time, especially with this third lockdown where people are struggling, um, you know, keep reminding yourself that it's okay to actually be kind to yourself as well as being kind to other people, you know? Mm. You're, finally, we wrap up. You're, you're, you're not impressed, I think, by the government's response. Well, look, I think it's a difficult time for them. And I think, you know, in their own minds, they're doing their best. I think there's two things, though. I think one... I think they need to display a greater feeling of empathy for people. I don't feel that from our leaders. When I look at Mio Hall and Martin or you know, any of them really, I don't feel empathy. And I think they haven't stopped for a moment because here's, here's the thing. They've got their sense of purpose. So their purpose is the pandemic and they get up out of bed and they get dressed into their suits and they go, they get to go out and about because legally they have got to go to certain places and see certain things. So their life has been fulfilled. Their purpose has been fulfilled. And I don't think they've stopped to realize that all your listeners right now, um, including myself, our purpose was taken away from us. So it's one thing to say to people, stay at home and be safe. And, you know, we live in a world where most people have a, a, a warm roof over their heads, but they don't understand that the, the mental health difficulties are coming from that lack of purpose. And then I suppose the other thing for me is I just hate to see us lagging behind everybody else. Uh, and leadership, like if you look at Jacinta Ardern down in New Zealand again, if you just look the way she's leading, she's leading from the front, regardless of whether what she did was right or wrong. She made decisive decisions and is forging ahead. Whereas, like you mentioned, you know, we don't know when this thing is ending. And, and the government will tell you, uh, you know, there's no silver bullet. So, so this is the line I've heard for the last two weeks, PJ. It's kind of just wrecking my head a bit, which is regarding the airport, you know, and their line, which all of them said, by the way, I've heard it so many times now, it's boring because it's obviously that uh, their media advisor told them to say this, you know, that there's no silver bullet and certainly that stopping travel in Dublin airport is only one piece of the pie and it's not a silver bullet, it's not a silver bullet. And I'm like, okay. Well, you know, the strain that we have here that's going so quickly through the community, the predominant strain, wouldn't be here if they got it together earlier. And, and I just feel like they're just slowly following behind what other countries are doing. But look, what I'm going to say to you about the government isn't going to change their no. tactic. They're no. not going to become more empathetic. They're not going to lead better. So regardless of what I say, it doesn't really matter is what I'd say. And it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about the government. Um, so therefore, you have to just control what's inside your own space and control what's inside your own mind. And I think we have a responsibility to ourselves to at least attempt to do that, like attempt to put things in place that will benefit you Con and your bubble around Control what you, know? you can. Exactly. What you yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's not what happens to you that matters. It's how you react that matters. All right, Keith, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks very much. And KeithBarry.com is his website, and you can find the links to the shows. And he has a promo code for our listeners, 96, if you want to get a discount. It's on Valentine's Night, and he's doing one for Patrick's Night as well. Thank you, Keith. 1850-715-996. I'm not sure about this cold shower thing at all, at all, at all. At all, at all, at all. Uh, Timmy says, fabulous listening to Keith Barry. Such a great, positive man. Nice, simple advice. We definitely need more of it. 1850-715-996. A year ago today, you voted for the government that we've just been talking about with Keith. Are you happy with the vote you cast and the result it brought upon you? What's that? <laughs> Go away. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. So you've got a smartphone or tablet. Tablet.
then get the must-have app. So you can take us everywhere. Download the Cork's 96FM app today. And listen to your favourite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts and get all the latest Cork news. And if you have a smart speaker, speaker. ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Play Cork's 96FM. Okay. On your phone, tablet, smart speaker, and radio. Turn up the volume. We are Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Now, the nice people out at Tidy Towns in Toker, TTT, were tweeting at the weekend about a young man who came out to help them with the installation of a new bin at the entrance to Matthew Hill. And the thing is, you see, he's not much taller than the bin. I'm looking at the picture here. It's brilliant. Michael is his dad. Hi, Michael. Good morning. PJ, good morning. How are you? Good. How old is Daniel? Daniel was five at the end of January. Right. And he's not much bigger than the bin, but he had a no. big day at the weekend. He had a massive day. He had a massive day. Um, Daniel is a very active young boy, and we have a very good neighbour in our house, and he said Fergal O'Connor with Tidy Towns. Nice. Uh, she asked me if every day Fergal is doing something with Tidy Towns, and Fergal asked us last week, would we give him a little hand, put up a bin, which I duly obliged, and I brought my two super helpers. I have, um, I have three boys, but we, I brought my two. I have uh, Daniel, who's five, and Matthew, who's two, so they came along. Um, halfway through Matthew got a little bit tired, wanted to go home watch Fireman Sam with his mom, so that he went home and Daniel insisted on staying with Fergal, our neighbour, to help him put up the bin because he was, Daniel said he was sick of mommy's buggy getting dog poo on the wheels right. and wanted to be the one to put up the bin to stop all the dog poo in this state. Very good, very good. So so he, what, what kind of things did he do? Um, I suppose the honest thing is Daniel does too much. Daniel loves drills, tools, anything. Daniel's granddad's a retired mechanic, so Daniel loves to get hands-on. So he was first in. About 10 times you tell him stand back, stand back, but he doesn't. So he loves to get actively involved, which for me, I was just saying earlier, I'm a researcher, it's brilliant because um, Daniel had a bit of a bump in the road when he was 18 months old. Daniel had to go for heart surgery in Crumlin. Yeah. So tell I me about that. I heard that. All right, sorry, we were saying to me that like, it's, it's, it's kind of a bit of a miracle that he is able to do all that he is doing, given that, like you said, the bump in the road. What happened? Uh, absolutely. And I tell you, PJ, I tell you, and it's, it's a beautiful story because we're the very lucky ones. We had a bump in the road, and I'll try and tell you as quick as I can. Um, like, like most parents, Daniel got a cough of the cold one Friday morning, and my wife took him to the local GP, Donica O'Freeland, Lashing Road. Donica said, yeah, he said, a cough in the cold, but he said, this little guy, I think, is a heart murmur. So at the point, we thought a heart murmur was a huge issue, so we had a little panic attack over us. We got the point in CUMH at the time, which followed a couple of months later. They carried out a check for a heart murmur, and the doctor, I remember very well, saying, he has a heart murmur, but that's not a problem. He said he has very little blood flow to his uh, lower half, so his kidneys, etc. Very little blood flow, mm. and he told us we need to take a trip to Crumlin. So that was um, that was a, a Friday afternoon. I'll never forget. I remember casually asking the doc- asking the doctor, uh, "Could I wipe get a towel to wipe the sweat off my forehead because I could feel nerves, everything coming out through me?" So fast forward a few months, we spent this summer of all of 2017 up and down the road to Crumlin. And I must say, they were absolutely amazing people. I will never be able to thank them enough, nor me or my wife. What did he and have to have done, Michael? So what he had, he had a, a, a coartation of the athora, which in, in simple words means his main artery out of his heart had kinked. And we'll never know whether he born with it or did it just happen as he right. grew. 
So long story short, um, it would have led to sudden death syndrome. We were told that he wouldn't have made it maybe six or seven. His heart would have burst. Wow. And one of, one of the occasions in Crumlin when we actually had an echo, we were able to see the left side of his heart was getting bigger than the right side because it was pumping so hard through a kinked, ar- kinked artery, which nice. effectively would have meant his heart to the burst, and that would have been unfortunately wow. that would have been zero. So, so this, they had to straighten it out, which is a massive operation. It is, yeah. And in fairness, yeah, there was um, a doctor. He was under Doctor Lars Nolke, a Kerry man, one of the nicest men I've ever met. Was, all jokes aside, we had her slagging over Carlton Kerry. Incredible man. And um, what he did was he actually cut out the kink on the artery. Incredible went into Dan- Daniel's back now, and Daniel was through the absolute wars. Um, I could I could tell your listeners they had to cut open his back into a shoulder blade muscle, cut out the artery, restitch it back together, did a whole lot. Um, absolutely incredible. When we were going through it, it was horrendous time for us. And I remember the doctor saying, he said, trust me, guys, a couple of days we'll have been sort of flying again. And Monday morning, they operated. It was four hours long, the four hours of my, of my wife, Noreen, of her life. But come Wednesday afternoon, he was up in a tractor in Crumlin Hospital yeah, and man. couldn't believe it. And wow. I even asked Lars, I said, Lars, I said, how do you do this? This is just, it's incredible to work in children. And he said to me, he said, Michael, he said at the time, I was 38, 39. He said, if, I, if you had this operation, you'll whinge and moan and cry for a couple of weeks before you get out of bed. But he said, Daniel will know no better. All he wants to do is get up and go playing again. Wow. So got up and went up in his tractor. We have a little picture inside. He's on the tractor. He has a Freddy for a drip in his hands, Freddy in his, in his ankle yeah. as well. And we're pushing him around on the tractor. Okay, he's very pale. Doesn't look doesn't look happy. But all he wants to do is go play. And, how is, and, and, and now he's as well as he was to go out putting up litter bins. He's absolutely flying. And how, did it all, how long did it all take to be back to back to full health? I can tell you, so in March he got diagnosed. Um, March, it was told with a heart murmur. End of June, we got an appointment with COMH. And um, when, he, when he got the appointment, they looked at him and they said, right, he had to go to Crumlin. We went to Crumlin the following week. And we had probably about eight or nine attempts at Crumlin before they eventually figured out, saying, OK, this is what we need to do. This is the surgeon we're going to bring it to do it. To do it. And then eventually they operated him on a Monday. And Monday, we went up on a Sunday evening, they operated on a Monday, and we actually came home that Friday. Wow. Because they were just saying the risk of infection was so high to get him home. So we brought him home and literally wrapped him in cotton wool for about six weeks. And um, along the way then, I'm going to tell you the last piece of the story, which is it's a beautiful piece of the story. I don't know what to make, but I don't know what to think about it. But I, I will tell, tell this to you, you and your listeners. Hope you may enjoy it. Um, we were told after this operation the best we may get to would be two-week checkups. You would have two weeks, two weeks, eventually we'll go four, six, and long-term we got 12-week checkups. Or 12 months, sorry. Which PJ didn't bother me or my wife. We just said we'd buy back that's all we wanted. So we had our two-week checkup. Everything was going to plan. We had our four-week checkup and we often joke about it here saying to people in Cork, we packed our sandwiches at four in the morning, got into the car to get to Crumlin for half seven in the morning and to spend our day there. And that day we were finished for half nine in the morning. Which right was mad. So I said to myself, my wife, I was working at the time and I'm, I've, I've now moved on from that job so we can tell the truth. We went docking, as they say in car. Two of us went docking and we said, for randomly, we'd go to the 40 foot in Dublin. I've never been there. We'd love just to see it. Right. And I tell the story that none of us had any clothes on to connect us to the hospital. Nothing. I had my work car. So we got out of the car and myself and my little boy, Daniel, started to walk ahead. My wife was locked in the car, getting her handbag, etc. And a man randomly just walked up to us. A man I described maybe in the 70s and he just said, hi, guys, this is my dog, Molly. And I just said, OK, that's fair enough. At the exact same time, the man put his hand on my son's shoulder, thankfully pre-COVID and all this, hand on my son's shoulder, where he was operating, just said, bless your heart, son. 
And it was something that knocked me back for six. And I actually, I looked at the man, I said, sorry, what, what did you say? And he just said, bless your heart, son, you'll be fine now. And walked off across the beach. And I kind of thought it was a little bit strange. I just said to my wife, did you see that man? She said, did you? Thought no more about it. Went back to Crumlin two weeks later and the doctors were kind of looking very dumbfounded at Daniel. I was starting to worry, so was my wife. And they turned around saying, we've never seen anything like this. They said, he's perfect. Instead of having two-week checkups, we'll see you in 12 months' time. Wow. So and you have no he, idea who the man you met at the 40-foot was? No idea who the man was. No idea who the man was. So all I'll say is I came back then and then we're lucky. We have two very good friends there. There's one is called Dave Valeri. Me and Dave did our first day in school together. And since then, we're best friends. Dave then married my friend Nicola, and long story short, when we came back from Crumlin, two of them came up with the idea that three of us were quite unfit at the time, well, probably still are, but we decided we'd run a Slam the Kilty half marathon to raise funds for Crumlin, because I just wanted to get back, because I said Crumlin were amazing. And one of the nights out running, I come, I live in Lehenamore, and I felt compelled to run to Toker Church, just about nine o'clock at night, and I came home to my wife, and I said, the man we saw, I convinced was Padre Pio on the beach. And oh, for it was, to, to, tell, to tell the readers other story, my middle name is Pio. My vintage, my vintage car is a registration plate called Pio. I don't know what to think, PJ. All I know is that, thankfully, Daniel was flying healthy. He had a 12, went back for 12 month checkup. Doctors like, absolutely, he's perfect. See another 12 months. That's incredible. That's a great story. Listen, you've put an awful lot into perspectives for us this morning. Michael, thank you very much for that. And best of health uh, to young Daniel and good man. 1850 uh, Wow. That's kind of blow your head, wouldn't it, Monday morning? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire off. The takeover. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Story. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Now, I'm not sure how you feel about Keith Barry's cold shower in the morning, whether or not it would prepare you for another day of homeschooling in lockdown or trying to keep the kids. Uh, somewhat sane as they're home from school and they can't go visit their friends and they can't do their play dates and they can't go to any other play centres and they're just stuck at home, stuck to their screens again for the next couple of weeks and believe me, it could be more than a couple of weeks the way things are going. How do you cope with A, keeping them sane and B, trying to keep yourself sane? Aoife Lee, good morning Aoife, how are you doing? Good morning, PJ. Happy Monday. <laughs> and happy Monday to you. I don't think you're... Well, I know mine didn't start with a cold shower, did yours? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, no. We're, I think uh, the homeschooling is hard enough on a Monday morning yeah. for everybody, like you say. But, uh, yeah, I know um, it has been a really tough start to the year, I think. And without a doubt, you know, I support families all over. And uh, it's the same... Um, challenges that come up for everybody and I think in fairness 
um, when we are kind of in a bubble at home um, and we're only we've only limited you know um, time with with family and friends and it's, it's over the zoom and phone it, there's an element of feeling somewhat isolated and I think sometimes you feel like you're on your own but really from my experience um, as a mum myself but also having the privilege of connecting with all of these families everybody is feeling exactly the same way and it's, it's hard going this time around it absolutely is Your website is parentsupport.ie and you Instagram as well at parentsupport I think what a lot of people are looking at should I be trying to actually recreate the school day but sure I can't that's impossible so what do you do do you just do the best with what you have to hand absolutely I think first and foremost like I'm quite conscious at this point now that you know families have probably found some form of managing their their day to day because there's lots of parents that are working and uh, whether that's one parent working and then the other parent is keep, keeping the show on the road, whether you've got one or five kids. Um, and really, it's, it is taking the pressure off. And I, and I don't say that flippantly because I've got children between three and 12 years of age. And I totally understand that, yes, there was, I think, at the beginning, this um, probably feeling of, right, we are going to have to replicate the day. But as we all know, it's not as simple as that. And I think a lot of schools want to emphasise that, you know, do what you can. And yeah. it's important to look at the bigger picture of um, that it's not just about the academics. And again, I'm not saying that flippantly. Um, I've lad in sixth class, he's starting um, uh, secondary in September. And we all want the best for the kids. At the same time, it's looking at what else we can kind of do that can encourage and help the kids both physically, mentally, and then ourselves, of course, which makes all the difference too. Mm. Again, a bit like discussing with other people lately, the uncertainty is the hardest part. If, if we all thought, right, they'll be going back to school on the 7th or 8th of March, then we'd say, grand, we'll, we'll suck it up and we'll work it through. But they don't. The uncertainty is the hardest part. They're yeah. uncertain, you're uncertain. Yeah. And we don't have the answers. I think as human beings, we love routine. Uh, well, you know, for most of us, you know, we like to know the plan, as do kids. No matter whether you've got a preschooler, you know, a really small child at home, right the way up to young adults. I mean, we've seen it this week with the Leaving Search. It's the will they, won't they, what's going to happen. And there's a sense of an ease. And um, like as ch- children in general love routine because it creates a predictability and consistency yeah. and yes they will ask us questions and you know what and I've been I've been doing a lot of um, corporate wellness so I've been do, working with a lot of working parents providing um, you know talks and you know it's okay to say to the kids do you know what we don't know right now we don't have the answer but I think as long as you kind of can keep them in the loop to what you know and I suppose it's hard not to avoid the news stories and uh, you know the figures and the facts and that can build on apprehension and that anxiety so our kids are our are, are first go-to they do rely on us for lots of different aspects of their day but at the same time that emotional support is is, is a big part of it too and um, but I think again taking the pressure off ourselves that we don't have the answers and I think the more we can try and hold on to the, the, the normal things, whether it's, you know, the birthdays, uh, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up. It's just 
making the most out of the, the, the normal things and, and being there for the kids and ourselves too. Yeah, I mean, realistically speaking, the 8th of March, which is a month from today, mm-hmm. that's the earliest that schools really are going to be going back in any proper form. You might get the yeah. special needs classes back before that. Maybe some of the even starts back, but it's you're looking at another month. So for mm-hmm. people who are now stuck with the idea of homeschooling for another month, you've got some tips. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know from uh, lots of schools are doing it differently, um, but uh, I know with my kids, they um, have a half-hour Zoom call every morning with their teacher, which does help set them up for the day. If you're in a position where you can, um, uh, when you are looking at the the homework time, try start it early in the morning when the kids are are feeling fresh, focused, maybe they're not as distracted. Starting in the afternoon, they've kind of got half the day under their belt and they mightn't be as enthusiastic. Um, Would you get them up at normal school time? Um, yeah, well, I would have said this from back back March of last year, and I'm, I suppose, I would be sharing ideally that tip because I know it, it works for me, and I've been sharing it with other parents. But if you can keep the the bedtime routines um, as as normal as possible, and encourage them to get up at your usual time. Now, you know, back in the day when we were in our school routine, some of us were up at half six, quarter to seven. It, you know, you could put an hour onto that, but try and and have that and um, that routine going so that they're they're just they're getting a good night's sleep as well. And then children again, when we get into a rhythm of things, they do fall into that 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 way that they're more inclined to do that. So if you can start, and um, let's say you have had you know you've been a bit all over the place since January, and and even just again clean clean this you know wipe wipe the slate clean, um, encourage be starting in the morning be mindful that different ages and stages mean different needs yeah. from you know our junior infants half an hour i'm not a teacher but i would have spoken to a lot of primary and secondary school teachers during all of this and um, and you know it's, it's managing our own expectations and the kids expectations what yeah. are they able for do they need movement breaks every parent in the country is very familiar with the volume of snacks our children are eating and uh, you know allow allow you know your snack breaks Um, I I saw something from a school recently, uh, Aoife, and I thought I'd ask you, a school that I won't name sent out a a WhatsApp message to parents and said, please make sure that the children are not in their pyjamas doing their homeschool on Zoom. Put them into their, no, they don't have to be in their uniform, but put them into proper day clothes. I don't see the point of that. You know what? I just think right now it's hard enough as it is. And you know what? You might have a parent trying to scramble on to a work call and they're literally just about had got the child at the kitchen table to, to get the homework done. Do not be putting pressure on yourself as long as your child is engaging um, with school. It's, it's, each, it's each to their own. Um, look, again, if you can get up, get them dressed, great. But at the same time, I mean, I know some schools are asking the children aren't doing their schoolwork in their bedrooms, but sometimes it's a scramble to where is the, where is a, a quiet space. Yeah. Um, I, obviously, if you've had child that have additional needs or, you know, they need that extra support, yes, encouraged to be there and available. But sometimes we just have to do what we have to do yeah. to get from one end of the day I- to the we're also we're with the best will in the world no matter how good mammy or daddy was at school they're not teachers yes 
yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I was I was did a session there uh, recently, and um, one mum had just signed, or the parents had signed their child up to a grade school, and uh, back in September, and they are not native Irish speakers. And little did she know that she would be homeschooling mm-hmm. um, a language that she doesn't know. But my kids are in a grade school and I've got my, let's say, my school Irish. Uh, and a couple of years in the grade house and that was the height of it. But um, you know, we have to take a step back and just, um, you know, support the kids as best we can. And, and at the same time, um, remember that there are opportunities in our day to create the life skills you know, yeah. get the kids involved in a little bit of independent help around the house, maybe for older kids, yeah. um, up to cook a dinner in an evening. Um, La- lastly, know. and very briefly, Aoife, because I'm running yeah. out of time, should sure. you decide, should it be a thing that school, home school finishes every day, just like real school does, 12 half past? Scrap it. Um, uh, I would I, I would maybe even put a limit on a, a couple hours. It could vary between one family and the next, but... Um, I just I think the less pressure you can do and, and like that, just do what you can. I know from, from my perspective, just um, you mentioned there, my Instagram uh, page, at Parents Support, um, I provide lots of different parenting support and tips and tricks daily. So for any of your listeners that are looking for a bit of inspiration, you mentioned screen times as well. I'm running lots of different um, posts this week because right. it is Safety Internet Day now tomorrow. So, yes. um, yeah, and we'll be dealing with that. Aoife, listen, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. That's uh, parentsupport.ie is her website, Aoife Lee, and at parentsupport on Instagram. Do what you can. You can do no more. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Lots of uh, reactions to the story about young Daniel and the strange man that his mom and dad met on the beach at the 40 foot met him with uh, this strange man they don't know who he was where he was from but he met them on the 40 foot in Dublin and said God bless your heart everything will be okay now and when you heard the story interesting wasn't it morning PJ says Andrew brilliant story there from Daniel's dad what a little legend Daniel is I spent several months in Crumlin as a baby and I had a piece of cloth blessed by the Padre Pio man from Passage West, Donald Enright. Yeah, I knew Donald. I think he's he's no longer with us. He would have been. He'd, he's either no longer with us or he's very, very elderly. But I think he's passed away a number of years ago. Donald Enright from from Passage West. He knew uh, Padre Pio personally. Um, I asked it for your thoughts on the general election, which was a year ago today. And were you happy with the way that you voted? And were you happy that you got? what you expected when you voted um, and I'll come to those, there's quite a few of them coming in, but it was, a year ago today was election day in the general election, I suppose it was technically it was a Saturday, but going by dates it was today, and are you happy with, with how you voted, are you happy with what you got in return for your vote, and I'll get to some of them a little bit later on, a lot of people actually not <laughs> are we surprised? Uh, no, Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. text to whatsapp 083 396-9696 and the email opinion at 96fm.ie if you missed anything from our first hour remember you can catch it on the podcast of the show which goes up online mid-afternoon we tweet it the link first as soon as the link is ready and then it goes on all of our various platforms including the Cork's 96fm app available to you from as I said early to mid-afternoon now in the UK they're, they're arguing about whether a boss can legally demand that staff get vaccinated 
under uh, COVID health and safety laws and all that. And and one of the arguments over there is that you actually can. That if you've been working from home and you're anxious to get back into the office, that in order to allow you back into the office, your boss can say, okay, you can come back in once you've been vaccinated. And apparently that will be the case in the UK if what we're if we're to believe what we read. And instead of thinking, what's going to happen here? Like an awful lot of people from this building have been working from home since the start. Um, since March, April of last year, many of my colleagues and friends from 96 from I haven't seen them because they've all been working from home. And such is the case for a lot of other people. And will you be able to go back into the office? Uh, will, you, will your boss be able to insist that you have a vaccine to go back into the office? Is it right and proper that you would be able to do so? Or if it's a thing that you start a new job, can your boss say on hiring you or at the interview, well, the job is yours, but one of the conditions is you have to be vaccinated against COVID-19 in order to start the job. We're headed down a road of legal confusion with regard to whether or not you need to be vaccinated to go to work. And I thought that we might be able to check in with Cleona Kimber, who is a senior counsel specialising in employment and workplace law, on a few simple questions like that. Cleona, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Uh, I've been listening to your show. It's very, very interesting. Thank you. Nice to speak with you. Um, It is confusing. Like people who have been working out of the office for a long time, Many of them want to go back because, you know, it's hard to work from home. Is it possible that a boss could say to you, "Okay, you can come back into the office once you've been vaccinated? Is that going to happen? Well, PJ, look, I think that's a that's a very good it's a very good question. And, you know, we're all desperate to get back to work. I have I have three teenagers at home, one of them leaving cert, and I'm desperate for her to go back to school. But, you know, we have to really start with what is the basics of the law here? <clears throat> and the the duties on the employer are they have a legal obligation under the Safety, Health and Welfare Work Act to do all that is reasonable to protect the health of their employees and maintain a safe place and system of work. And you have to sort of then start by looking at, okay, what is the employer trying to achieve and what's the easiest and the best way to achieve it while taking everybody's rights into account? Um and, and you have to look and say, well, look, on the one hand, people have a right under, well, different than the UK, um, people in Ireland, we have a right to what's called bodily integrity under the Constitution. But on the other hand, the employer has a right to earn a livelihood and they have their property rights. So you're trying to balance that. So I would say the place to start is where, for the employer is with your risk assessment. You know, get a proper risk assessment. What do I need? What am I trying to achieve? Uh, do how is my factory floor? What are the other safety options? What is my workplace like? Can I, for example, could I achieve what I want by way of mandatory testing? Um, and I have heard of some workplaces uh, that are you you have your mandatory testing, you sit and you wait 15 minutes outside in the car and you only come in when you're positive and they have to do that every day. Mm. So there's other ways to get about it rather than require everybody to be mandatory, mandatorily vaccinated. And mm. and that's where I would start. You do a decent risk assessment, you get your legal advice and you progress on that basis and mm. see... But, 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 do, but does your boss have a right at the moment under Irish law to say we can go back into the office when you're vaccinated? 
Well, PJ, I don't think they have a right absolutely to say that. And it's not one size fits all. And you see, as soon as if you sit, just sit around the kitchen table, as soon as you start to discuss it, I, as I say, I would discuss it with my teenagers. And they said, well, what if somebody has an underlying health condition? And, and what if somebody has... Uh, can't get vaccinated and what if this and, and you can think of another scenario because the reason I'm saying it a lot of healthcare yeah. workers have to have an updated Hep B vaccine they do that's very true um, and and they may have that had that um, as part of the terms and conditions before they started so you know it's and I think you made a very good point there at the outset you know there's a difference between somebody who's already in the job and then something which is a new requirement and I think we'd all say that if somebody if I was working away for years and then COVID-19 comes along and suddenly my employer says well you have to have this done or you have to have that done Um, and I say well I'd never have to have it done for, for 20 years you know your employer would need to have chapter and verse before they would force somebody to do something in in that scenario. And I think most people are very reasonable and most employers are very reasonable. And the most important thing, I think, and I come back to this, and you get your risk assessment, you get your legal advice, and you say to the employer, I've looked at it. This is what we have. I cannot bring you in the back entrance. I cannot do anything else. The mandatory test is not going to work. I've mapped out my workplace. I, I absolutely need you to have this and uh, if you want to come back to me and tell me what your side of the scenario is and the employer comes the employee then comes back and gives their side of it and you try and and work it out um pj as as, as a barrister i suppose i'm always concerned for the employer and the employee the, the one that gets away the one that's going to sue you yeah. you need to be able to show that what you have done is reasonable as in uh, it has reasons and it has good reasons. Mm. You focus on that aspect of it. Um, like the now, Act is very comprehensive because at the very start of this, we, we got um, printouts here of the Act and read through the various elements of, of it for people's rights or to get to work. And that, mm. like, that Act is very comprehensive. Your boss has a lot of duties towards you. They do, absolutely. Safe place, safe, safe, uh, safe colleagues. Um, and the employee also has a duty too yes. under that act. The employee has a duty to um, make sure that th- their co-workers are safe. There's an awful lot of duties attached to that. Absolutely, you're, you're quite right. Mm. Um, and I think the focus really, PJ, I would say, is you focus on what you're trying to achieve and you're trying to achieve a safe place and a safe system of work. And there's no point in grabbing grabbing for something that seems like a simple solution. Mm. No, no, the reason I mentioned the act, Cleana, is that under that, like a lot of a lot of obligations, your boss has an obligation to provide for you a safe workplace. Now, Absolutely. one would argue that a safe workplace is one in which you cannot catch COVID-19. And one way to ensure that safe workplace is that all your colleagues are vaccinated. Anyone too, it would be. So you could see, it, well, you know what, If I'm, I'm, my office will only be staffed by people who are vaccinated. You would see that as being a, an interpretation there. It is. And you put, your, put your finger on the pulse there when you say one option. I mean, there's plenty of other options that you might have to look and see what other safety nets are there. Um, I was reading very recently... Um, in one of the, the Sunday newspapers about different ways in which there are new um, hospital-grade ways of cleaning your workplace. There's 
people, there's different scanners you can put to keep people two metres apart, so the thing beeps. Um, have you got, I mean, I know it sounds a little bit uh, unusual, but, you know, you might put all the vaccinated ones in one place and all the unvaccinated is another separate area, uh, if you can, and it depends on your workplace. But I would suggest that you, that you the mandatory vaccination is, is such a definite and firm thing and there are plenty of people mm. out there but I mean I, in I, your legal opinion Fiona is it doable under the act as we have it I would say it depends it depends on your workplace it depends on your risk assessment um, and it depends on what the terms and conditions of your employment are and I know that sounds sort of rather equivocal but it's not definitely not a one size fits all and you can see there'll be considerations on, on all sides but I think if the employer has done all their homework <laughs> sorry to give them another task to do we're all talking about homeschooling on your show this morning but mm-hmm. if, if they've done their homework and they say this is the only way I can do it there, I have no other options, I've looked at all the other alternatives I've looked at the mandatory test, I've looked at the cleaning, I've looked at this is the only way I can do it, then I think they would have a good case for saying to their, to their employee I have no other way of doing it I, I do have to uh, yeah. require you to be mandatory tested and then the employee might say well you know, I'm sorry, I've got an underlying health condition. And, and then you're really in, in sort of difficulties there, you know? Yeah. People um, of some ethnicities uh, have a reluctance with regard to vaccinations, and some people might not want to get vaccinated because of a religious belief, and, and others have, have... Like, if you try to force somebody to be vaccinated, and they, their religion or their ethnicity or whatever, doesn't do vaccination, and you sack them, then you could be in trouble too, couldn't you? You could, absolutely, you could. You could be uh, taken to court for unfair dismissal, um, and, and it does happen, and uh, you, could, you, you, you could end up having to justify your decision. And that's where your homework comes in, and you turn up before your adjudication officer, and you say, I've looked at this, I have what's called in law an objective justification. It's not based on, look, that's my simplest way of doing things. I've looked at it, I have my risk assessment. I consulted with my local solicitor or barrister. I have looked at all the other options. This is the only way I'm doing it. And you have a much better chance of then convincing the adjudication officer that your dismissal was fair um, and and succeeding on on that point. It also sounds like much easier for someone who's recruiting new staff to oblige them to have been vaccinated before they start. That's much more doable. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, And you get that with, uh, PJ, I suppose the thing that you would um, have an analogy with would be, you know, the drug and alcohol testing for safety critical things. Yes. uh, You know, for bus drivers and uh, uh, train drivers, all that kind of stuff. You know, before those would be recruited, those types of workers, there would be something in their contract to say, you you know, you have to submit to drug and alcohol testing. And um, there's plenty of case law at the European Court of, of Human Rights and at the other European courts to say, well, look, you know, if, if you don't have to go and work in that workplace, but if, the, if you choose to go and work in that workplace and the terms and conditions of that workplace are, you have mandatory vaccination, it's your choice. You don't have to go and work there, you can go work somewhere else, but if you go and work there, those are the terms and conditions. And PJ, you're absolutely right. That's a totally different scenario than somebody who's, well, you know, life has been turned upside down. They've been working in the place 20 years and suddenly their employer comes in and says, look, this is what I want you to do now. And you kind of go, well, I'm not, I, I don't think I want that. And bear in mind as well, you, you, there are a whole pile of, of um, 
you know, privacy issues as well. And people may not want necessarily to disclose why they don't want the vaccination. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, but I'm just thinking of a scenario, even as I say, when you're, when you're chatting with your friends, you could have a small employer who would say, I want everyone mandatory vaccinated. And you'd have an employee maybe who's, who's going for IVF, doesn't want everyone to know, doesn't necessarily get on with their employer, doesn't want to explain why they don't want the mandatory vaccination. Uh, so you've got privacy issues coming into it. So the employer is much better off to focus on what am I trying to achieve? What's my end goal? How can I get it? And move up gradually the staircase of what are my safety nets? What can I do? What do I need to do? How do I get there? And eventually you get to the mandatory vaccination. So, so a lot of legal advice required by employers and I suppose employees as well. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a, it's a stitch in time saves nine. And the last thing you want really is for anybody, nobody wants to be stuck in, in a, you know, in front of an adjudication officer or a court trying to argue. If, you, if you're arguing at that stage, uh, you'd be much better off to take a little bit of advice at the start, uh, figure out where you are and try and reach some sort of an agreement. Uh, most people, PJ, are reasonable and will try and reach a solution if you're solution focused. Okay. All right. Okay. Listen, thank you very much for your time this morning. That's Donna Kimber. She's a senior counsel specialising in employment and workplace law. Effectively, what she's saying is your boss kind of can and kind of can't force you to get a vaccination. But if your boss wants to force you to get a vaccination, he or she needs to have plenty of good legal advice before doing it. An interesting one that came up recently that I heard about myself is somebody, this is not to do with vaccinations now, but someone who was working from home in lockdown one and lockdown two and quite efficiently well able to work from home, the nature of their job was such that they could do it quite efficiently from home. Their boss has ordered them back into the office this lockdown because A, they're on their own in there, or there's only one or two people in there, and B, the boss wants them in the office. And I think, you sure that's surely got to be some kind of a breach under 2005, if the job can be done from home, why can't they do it from home like they did in the first couple of lockdowns? Catherine says, I know people who live in nursing homes that have staff who have said they will refuse a vaccine. And these people are now very worried. A nursing home is a home. Literally, they have no choice about being exposed to these staff. They're not the ones out meeting people, going to gatherings. It really is unfair. And John says, what about bodily autonomy? A lot of people in my circle won't take it as they don't trust it. Are we going to become the modern-day lepers if we don't take the vaccine? Hey, listen, John, my attitude is which arm? And when? That's, you know, I don't, I don't care. My boss said to me tomorrow, yeah, you've got to have your jab to be in here. I'm grand. No problem with that. None. Uh... 185715996 just on the general election and one or two things that have come up since Patricia I see Michal Martin is finally admitting he made the wrong call back in December it was all plain for us to see at the time yeah that's a good piece very good piece actually in the mail on Sunday yesterday very comprehensive interview with their uh, political editor John Lee with Michal Martin uh, that they got it wrong uh, pre-Christmas, you know, sorry, no, but we all knew this anyway. Um, he was advised by the chief medical officer, but failed to act upon that advice. How can he sleep at night knowing the result of that bad decision? Shame on him. Is he going to apologise to the families who lost loved ones? I sure hope so. Then he should call it a day like a real man. We need a competent leader and we need them badly. That's from Patricia, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six, And from Can. 
in France. Bonjour, Cormac. Hi, PJ. What an absolute sham the vaccination rollout is in Ireland. My mum is 79 and had zero contract, contact for her first appointment for the vaccine. My sister-in-law's granny is 89 and has zero contact. Everyone knows the healthcare service sector is a priority, but surely the next level of priority needs to move to. Now, are we that far behind the rest of the world or is just typically the Irish healthcare system and a huge exposure of our inefficiency? It's nice to post pictures of mass vaccination centres. There's one in the front of the examiner. But the vaccines and the appointments need to go hand in hand. One would wonder, does all this go on a who-you-know system and a one-for-the-lads system? But they're supposed to start on the over-85s, I think, from next Monday. And they're to be notified by their GPs. And then they're talking about starting on the over-70s after they've done the over-85s. Uh, my daughter's friend, her, her, her nana, is 87 or is it 90? Can't remember which. And she'll be called, hopefully will be called next week. So if, if they're called by their GP for their vaccine, that's all. But it's way too slow. It's way, way too slow. And also in that interview yesterday, Michal Martin said that they will not be buying their own vaccines. We're not buying our own vaccines, no. What can you do? 1850-715-996. How would you like to be zhuzhing up the house a little bit during lockdown? I've spent the last two weekends in the attic. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And I probably have another weekend or two to go up there as we try to clean it up and patch it up and insulate it up and all that kind of thing. Um, but how would you, have you done any DIY during lockdown? Have you looked at those little jobs that need to be done and have needed to be done for a long time? Have you tried them yourself? Have they been a total and utter disaster? Or have you actually managed to muddle through and do it right? 1850-715-996, that's next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. 
Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. I've got all the tunes you need to race you through Monday afternoon. There's no Monday blues around here. Everything Cork and I'll keep you company while you're at work. See you from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. We spoke with Laura DeBarra last year when her book came out, Gaff Goddess, and doing up your home. And a lot of people, I suppose, in the boredom of lockdown will look at those little jobs that should be done and say, will we do them? Because by the time we get a man in to do them, it'll be next year. And anyway, we could do them ourselves and save a bit of money. And then on the other side of the conversation is, no, you don't, because you'll make a hames of it. Don't do that. They'll make complete bags of it. It's too hard. Get a man. Wait for the man. Or a woman. Laura, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? Good. There's all sorts of stuff that you're kind of looking at now in these interminable weekends going I really should tackle that but I don't know where to start Oh I know and I think everyone has it no matter the, like these days no matter how experienced you are if you've done it before I think we're all a little bit reluctant to get stuck into anything at the moment <laughs> so I think the best things you can start on are things that make you feel kind of quite mindful while doing them mm-hmm. so like nice projects is what I call them ones that aren't too scary but I'd give you a nice like visual afterwards. So something I always recommend that is an instant update makes every bathroom look better, but is easy to do yourself is siliconing the bath or the shower, and replacing the silicone around floors and tiles and things like that. Really? It's oh my god! It is so easy. I've like a full video on it on Instagram and a full direction on it in the book as well. And it's something that I will do before viewings on a flat and straight away the difference is just always amazing but it's so easy to do yourself if you figure out like what type of silicone you need pressure speed the type of gun the angle to cut things at once you tick all those boxes it is the most enjoyable job you can do okay <laughs> this is the the, the 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 white stuff or the clear stuff around the edge of the bath and the sink but how do you yeah, get the I, old bit out so there's also like full directions in that because my whole thing is the job that you can do yourself I, we rarely kind of like know it because it's such a grey area around it. Like, how do you get the silicone out and stuff? So I figured, I've basically done a video and in the book on that as well. How to cut it out, how to make sure it's all gone, how to prep the area for the new silicone coming in. And it's something that a lot of people will pay someone to do when it's just so easy to do it yourself. Yeah, that's an interesting one now because, you know, it does it does stain through ordinary use. It just turns, particularly around a, around a sink where you've got some, some uh, you know, these... Uh, Quartzy tops, you've got a mm-hmm. silica. It, 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 it blackens because of stuff being washed in the sink. Can you just take it out and replace it? That, yeah, that's easy, can. is it? It's, it is super easy. I've tried to basically cover all of the parts that basically when I first started doing it, I messed it up so badly because I didn't. There's these kind of gray areas around it, you know, that you don't really get caught. So, through experience and then finally being able to master it, I came up with the perfect kind of approach to it. and I think that it's something that if a lot of people just sit and just listen to the basics of it, okay. they can then just do it so easily themselves. And it's so enjoyable. Okay. I always put on Grace Jones and it's a lovely kind of rhythm and you get it all done nicely. <laughs> what other little things can you can you do? 
if you're looking for things that are going to transform and it's kind of DIY from the point of view of making the house look better, things like updating tiles with paint or changing the grout colour or paint and kitchen cupboards are all great things to do as a transformation project. But I think right now, if you want to do more kind of DIY or DIY as I call it, to make your house feel a bit better for you rather than the things you're looking at, I would go through the things you use day to day and give them a zhuzh. Like one really popular video I have is fixing your couch because everybody now is on their couch way more than normal. Right. And couches are getting saggy, they're getting a bit smellier and they're getting more worn in. And there's a judge that you can do really easily. There's a video on it on Instagram as well, how to basically fluff up your couch. I do it after every tenancy. Before a new person moves in, right. I like to make sure that the signs of the old person is gone. So what do so you do then? Do you pump up the cushions or what do you do? Well, you can actually like unpick the stitching on the inside once you take off the cover. And the filling inside is usually when you first buy it, it's filled with air. And you just need to kind of like whip through that filling with your hand and then you can sew it back up. The full kind of directions are online, but it's just that's the basics of it really. And then it puts the air back in because all of that filling goes down by about 25 to 35% after six months. So you're just putting that back in to make it more like it was in the showroom. And then if you get bicarbonate of soda and you sprinkle it all over the couch before you go to bed tonight, just sprinkle it onto the bits that you touch, like especially the seat cushions, pop off to bed, let her do her thing with deodorizing. She absorbs the odors and then hoover it off and you'll have your couch smelling fresh then tomorrow. Oh, simple as that. It's Rather really than waiting, because we, we have a, we have, we have Dan, Dan the cleaning man who comes to our mm-hmm. house at Christmas time to do the couches and the, and the carpets. But of course, he didn't get there before Christmas because of lockdown and there's, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, it, it, they start to get a little bit tatty. So you can just do that simply with bicarbonate, yeah? Yeah, and I mean, it's never going to replace, like, these kind of things never replace a professional. It's always great to get in before Christmas and get something like that done, but you can do top-ups through the year. And it's the same with your bed. I think a lot of people are kind of like cooling to bed at night and it's not feeling the way it used to almost. Like, our houses are, are more kind of being used by us at the moment. So I've got this rule where you don't, basically, don't bake in the morning. Don't let your bed bake you in the morning because when you sleep at night you sweat there's skin particles no matter who you are or what time of the year it is it's just a fact right. a lot of people pull all of their bedding back over the patch they slept on and they make their, head, their bed look almost like a hotel bed Oh God, that line is fading away something brutal on me what, what are you saying to do oh, in, in, yeah what are you saying to do in the morning so in the mornings always you should be pulling back your duvet right back to the end of the bed to let all of the bacteria and the odour is released during the day. So then when you get back in, in the, at night time, it's a fresher bed. And then on the weekends or whenever you're changing your covers, do the bicarb to your mattress as well. And then hoover it off after a few hours. I see. I see. Because this thing about always make your bed in the morning, you're only covering up where you slept. So... Well, yeah, it depends how... I always make my bed in the morning, but not the way you think. Hotel beds are made that way because it's new bedding every morning. Whereas when it's your own bed, you need to make sure that you release instead of pulling over that patch you slept on and baking it into the fibres of the sheets and the duvet. So you still have to do the process of kind of like making the bed, but you just make it differently, not the way a hotel would make it. I see, I see. We are spending so much time in our homes now. We're kind of looking at finding or finding faults right, left and centre. And the big fear is, I know certainly my fear is, um, because... Queen Bee will just go at it and she she's very good at most things she does I'm always terrified that I'll make a hames of it and it will look awful and we're stuck <laughs> with it then 
Do you see? There's my problem. No, that line is that line is cruel, Laura. Unfortunately. Oh God, is it? It is. It's starting to break up. I mean, try again. Okay. Um. So I think what you've got to do is you've got to plan well. So what I would always do if I'm tackling anything for the first time, I will basically write the list of what I need. I'll watch. Usually I'll read something and I'll watch a couple of videos. Write the list of everything I need and have everything ready to go, as well as a slow by slow of like what I need to do so I don't forget any of the stages. That's the way to make sure that you don't mess anything. No, that's, that line is just not going to hold. I'm so sorry, Laura. It's terrible. That, that, that blasted mobile phones, I tell you. It's not, <laughs> not going to happen. Don't uh, worry at all. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. Um, look, oh, do, do you know what we'll do? We'll, we will catch up again, uh, but, but for now, just don't be afraid to tackle something. Paint it, silicone it, and where are all the videos? Do it. And they're all on my Instagram or YouTube, but also you can fix it if you're not doing electric or plumbing. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Leave it there. No, it's... I, it's Thank you, Laura. Laura DeBarra, the gaff goddess, 1850-715-996. No, it's just the bloody... Mobile lines are just gone mad altogether these days. They're just getting worse and worse. 1850-715-996. Kate says, we had a problem with a press. The handyman thought he could fix it and make it better. No problem. The press, oh, I, I, I presume by the handyman you mean the other half, thought he could fix it and make it better. No problem. The press was used for wear. And about an hour after he left, as we were sitting back relaxing, there was a crash. Then another and then another, and then another. The top shelf collapsed, causing the load on the next shelf to get too heavy, and so on, and so on, and so on. Every bit of wear was ruined, but we were alive anyway. We weren't sure at first, after all the noise. <laughs> yeah. 1850 715 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Secret Song is an annual one-day live music and spoken word festival that takes place in Levis's Corner House Valley to Hub. This year the event is moving online with 10 artists playing over two days this Saturday and Sunday. You can buy a day or weekend ticket and there's also some special secret song bundles at levis'scornerhouse.bandcamp.com. Tolu Mackay is an Afro-Irish singer whose recent cover of the Saw Doctors N17 climbed the charts after a stunning performance on The Late Late Show. She comes to Cork for a fully seated socially distanced show with tickets sold as table of four only, taking place in Cypress Avenue on June 13th. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the on Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. You know, sometimes when you read your weekend newspapers, you would get awful worried about people and awful worried about the things that they're doing for themselves. The latest one is a craze. I think it comes originally from Holland, but they're trying it around the US now and the UK. And it's basically, they're going out into fields hugging cows. I'm, no, I'm not joking you. It's called cow cuddling. Sounds like the daftest thing. 
I've ever heard in my life. But apparently it is very soothing for you and the animal. The cow. Peter Hines, have people taken leave of their senses or what few senses they had left? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, no, and I actually see your I see where you're, where you're coming from, but uh, no, I think far from taking leave for their senses, cuddle uh, a cow is it's very therapeutic for for people. But and and I guess look from my perspective, I'd be looking at it more with, from people that are maybe uh, they're very shy in public or have struggled with their mental health, etc. And I suppose when you can connect with a six, seven hundred kilo animal on that level and gain enough respect from them to to let you cuddle them, it can be very empowering for someone and, and very soothing for someone. And uh, I think even on our own farm, like uh, Paul and the girls there now, they've built up a huge relationship with a, with a lot of the animals. And uh, cu- cuddle a cow would have been uh, go- going a long time on our farm. Because a cow can, can break your leg with one flick of a hoof. Yeah, and look, I think that's the important thing that we should need to stress this morning is that we're not suggesting everyone should head out of the city this morning and find a cow and take a chance to go for a cuddle. I mean, the animals that would be used in the in, the, in those scenarios in the US and in Holland, they'd be animals that would be well-adjusted and, and would have a great trust and respect with people. But likewise in order to let the animal uh, be cuddled, you must you must gain their respect yes. to, to allow them to trust you. And it's I like a dog, I guess. It's like any other animal. You've got to you've got to gain the respect of the animal. Oh, gotcha. And I mean, look, we've we've a couple of uh, we've a couple of heifers and cows on the farm there that you could put a, a lead on them, and you can literally walk them up our farm lane with the same as uh, you, you you can a dog. Uh, we we had Claire Kyo out with us. You'd know Claire, no? The photographer, yeah, yeah. Her, and uh, she was out in January, and uh, she got some fantastic photos of one of our heifers, Daisy, and uh, we literally needed. Uh, a cow for a photo and we just put the halter on Daisy and away we went walking up the lane with Claire and she got what she needed. It's funny, my, my, my daughter is, a, is um, a training as a veterinary nurse and she's been spending some time on farms with cows lately and she said, Dad, they're the cutest animals I've ever met. They're big, ugly yolks that smell. Watch is no PJ, you'll be getting into hot water, calling cows ugly, no, no place. <laughs> no, look, they're all the, bones and they're hardly pets, are they? I just know, I mean, if look, each and every one of them has a different personality. And really? We've, we, we've cows that they would have no mass in getting a cud like to be, look, back off, sister, I, I, give me my space, where we've other ones that would know their names and they literally, you call their name, they'd walk up through the gate. Get away. And, uh, and, and, and come and say hello. And even when Paula started milking first, there was one cow in particular that used to come and say hello to her every evening and literally gave her the confidence to start, start trying milking cows with me. So, uh, it's, so they do it, identify with people? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, we've had a huge amount of t- tourist groups into our farm from the US, Canada, Australia, and they've always commented on how relaxed the horde is around people. But I guess that's, look, that's 
just us showing them a level of respect right. and, and, and likewise they give it back then and uh, I think it makes a farm a lot easier to run but yeah. uh, likewise I mean at the end of the day they are um, they're, they're, they need a huge amount of respect because they can be dangerous animals yes. if they're not in the right hands like. but, but they understand and they form a bond with humans Oh God, yeah, if you, our, our seven-year-old, if she walks into the parlour and stands at the back, back steps and calls Jumbo, Jumbo will literally walk through the whole herd up to the back of the parlour to say hello to her. Get and away. If I pull out the phone and try and take a selfie with Jumbo, she will walk away. George, she can get a selfie with her. She won't stand. She won't get a selfie with me. She's she doesn't <laughs> like my social media. I think <laughs> I would. I mightn't blame her for that. Either. So she'll she'll <laughs> she'll she'll take a selfie with your daughter, but now with you. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. It's uh, it's phenomenal, and George, she's always had a huge connection with her, and um, I can even I can remember. Oh God, we we had a group here from Chile. Back in 2017, a group of 30 farmers and Georgie was with us and the cows were out in the field and we had to take the, the Chilean farmers out to see the cows. And next thing, Georgie disappeared. And all, all of a sudden, I could see all the Chilean farmers literally stopping listening to me and walking away and pulling out their cameras. Georgie was sitting down, rubbing Jumbo when Jumbo was lying down and... The Chilean guys were absolutely gobsmacked that they had no mass and if they need technical stuff, I was telling them it was they just could not believe that uh, a child could connect with an animal that yeah. well. Like, I mean, George, would be well educated now to that, that they are dangerous animals to it at times. Like, so uh, yeah. she knows. She knows. That's amazing. That's amazing because I mean, I, I've often talked before, Peter, about about. Dogs and and the do- the link between a dog and a human is something we'll never understand. But there is a link between a cow and a human as well. There is, and I think even if you, you I mean, if you, look, it's the same with horses too. It's uh, and we worked with horses for a good few years. I think you can connect with an animal if you build up a deep level of respect on both from both sides. Uh, you they, you can really connect with them, and um, wow. you know, I suppose it's. Uh, for us, it's about it's about welfare. It's about seeing the animals more content around the, the farm too. And at the end of the day, we kind of consider them work colleagues. But it really is how how therapeutic Cuddler Co has become in the US and stuff. And stuff is with people that have had troubled backgrounds. Yeah. You know, when they when when they haven't been around animals before, and they can realise that by maybe relaxing themselves and gaining that level of respect and giving that level of respect to to another individual that they'll get it back 10 times and uh, I think that's why it's become so therapeutic because you you sound like a man who's considering it uh, well now if anyone wants to cuddle a cow uh, we're into farm diversification here we'll uh, we'd certainly entertain us and I know I do believe there's a it has a huge power a healing power for people that's uh, that, that are in need of help and maybe don't trust humans uh, as much but they could might find it easier to connect with an animal faster all right listen thanks very much peter as always peter hines uh, dairy farmer cuddling cows hey listen the things you hear about them on the morning 1850 715 996 just be careful at which end you stand because one leaks 1850 715 996 we talked about this documentary uh, last year middle of last year that it was in the making and was going to be coming out it finally did land at the weekend Brittany was so serious and so focused this is a girl that's coming from strength 
She was so open and vulnerable. How we treated her was disgusting. Brittany had to navigate being told who she could be and what she could do. People became fascinated with her sort of unraveling. She accepted that the conservatorship was going to happen, but she didn't want her father to be a conservator. That was her one request. And anytime there's that amount of money to be made, you have to question the motives of everyone close to that person. Do they always have her best interest at heart? Something is going on behind the scenes here. I didn't understand what a conservatorship is, especially for somebody capable of so much that I know firsthand she's capable of. Why is she still in this? Why is her dad making all of her decisions? What do we want? Free Britney! Britney Spears, one of the megastars of the 90s, a fantastic pop star, but for, has not been able to make her own decisions for years after she had a... A meltdown, a breakdown, for want of a better word. Um, her dad makes all her decisions for her, and she's stuck in what's called a conservatorship. Um, Denise Corton, digital editor of Stellar Magazine, has seen this new doc. I haven't yet, Denise. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? It's been, it's been a while in the making. What is, what is a conservatorship, and why is Britney stuck in it? So basically, it's something which is often seen for elderly or disabled people who can't make up their own decisions you know they need help and it was applied to Brittany during her very public breakdown in 2008 but has continued since despite her very loud wishes to get out of it and continued work and livelihood success you know and what's after happening is that her father Jamie Spears has appointed the person who is managing Brittany Spears as a person and her finances and basically kind of took away most of her civil rights in terms of what she can do and decide for herself. So um, it's been going on for a very, very long time. It started off as it was meant to be temporarily applied to her. So, you know, just while she was kind of getting over her her breakdown, but um, it has continued, even though she's done Vegas residencies and she's continued to make money, Hmm. yet isn't in charge of any of her own finances. Well, so she's got uh, 60 million bucks in the bank. She's, she's a very wealthy woman and continuing to earn, but it's money she can't get her hands on. It is, yeah. It's money that she's, she's, not, she's not even, they were saying the documentary allowed to book her own flights, allowed to do practically anything with her, with her own money. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy to see, you know, like I think all of us have seen the Free Britney movement um, mm. moving around social media over the past year or two, but when you kind of get everything condensed into this documentary that goes through her entire success from the Mickey Mouse Club when she was 11 and 12 years old, which kind of catapulted her onto, you know, television screens, then up through, you know, the the iconic naughty success when she yeah. had Baby One More Time. Up until present day, it's, it, it's, it's crazy just to see how far she has come and then to see how almost trapped it seems yeah. she is by this conservative she is well now thankfully she has gotten over her her difficulties and and she's still stuck in this thing uh, oh completely completely you know she she has done a very very successful um vegas residency she was planning on doing a second one which she pulled out of but she has she's toured she has done performances she has done interviews she has had such incredible success but then again everything that was booked in for her has been done so by the people who are in charge of her. And has she any power to challenge it? She has. Well, she has power in the sense that she has tried to challenge it, but so far what's kind of been said in terms of the courts, we're not sure of, but she's constantly denied 
what she's asking for, which has been clearly stated in court documents that she wants her father removed from the conservatorship. conservatorship. Mm. But um, yeah, um, it's it's crazy. At the moment, her manager is um, is temporarily taking over her father's place after he was in an altercation with um, uh, Brittany's son. But it's um, it's it's unsure as to what's going to happen moving okay. forward with it. It's a, it, it was released on Hulu the other night, and it's on FX Television. So that's where we can see it this side of the world. Is it FX Television? Now, at the moment, yeah, at the moment, they don't have any UK release date or Irish release date for the documentary. So right now, it's unless you've got access to it, it's difficult to watch it, but it's apparently going to be dropping over here sometime soon. Okay, look forward to it, because it's a very interesting story. Thank you, Denise. Denise Curtin, digital editor of Stellar Magazine, one of the biggest stars of the 90s. Every record you're better, and every record is a massive hit. And then she had that breakdown at 26, and her dad is still in control of everything, even though she is well. That's mad. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Yeah, we've had some people on the phone saying it is snowing. There's a bit of schnockta falling around the city and county, but it's not sticking. It's not sticking to the ground. There's a bit of old damp old schnockta, schnockta, sleety stuff falling around the place, but nothing worth talking about so far. But I know there'll be first pictures of snow now will be coming up very, very soon. As I look out the top window here of broadcasting house. It's dull and it's dreary and it just looks cold out there. Looks awful cold out there, but no sign of snow in the city just yet. 1850-715-996 the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie If you missed anything in the first couple of hours of our programme this morning, remember we have the podcast in the mid-afternoon goes up first on Twitter, we tweet the link and then after we tweet the link you'll find it on all your various uh, podcast platforms and also on the Quark's 96FM phone app. It apparently has been snowing just outside the door recently here. I didn't see it. That's grand. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) 1850-715-996 Lots of people very interested in the cuddling of the cows. Andrew, is it okay to hug a cow hug a cow under the lockdown rules or do we run the risk of getting COVID-19? Oh, please, please. Viva's in Madrid, buenas. Uh, cuddling cows, there's nothing new. Ask any country kid that grew up in the country. It's very relaxing to get up close and personal with large animals, large domestic animals. They're lovely, they're calming, they're intelligent, they most definitely have their personalities. They taste nice too. <laughs> I'd be killed for that. PJ, Bandon Mart is on today. Lot one. What am I bid for two Angus cows, 12 weeks old? Need a cuddle twice a day. Go on with that. Listen, honest, something more serious. Today is International Epilepsy Day. And epilepsy has a small role to play in our house. Um, thankfully, we haven't had an episode for nearly three years now, which is great. Um, But in many houses, it's a day-to-day thing. It's a daily thing. And that is why today is such an important day. Uh, As we remind everybody that epilepsy is real, epilepsy is dangerous, epilepsy is everywhere, and we need to be aware of it, the challenges of it. Someone in your 
family could have it, someone in your circle, your workplace could have it. What would you do if someone had a, an epileptic incident or an episode in your presence? It's just one of the things that you would think about. Um, and let's talk first to BJ Bota, formerly of Munster Rugby. Um, BJ, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good to talk to you, sir. It's been a while. Very good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Now, talk to me about Owen, your son. Yes, Owen is um, uh, he's ten years old now, and uh, was diagnosed around uh, five years um, five years ago with with epilepsy. Uh, short story: he had a little bit of episodes early on in his life, um, ten to twelve days, where he had he was quite severely sick, and he just through a unit tract infection contracted sepsis and went through the ICU and et cetera, et cetera, and uh, came out uh, through ICU and they found out that he actually had a stroke while he was there. So. He had this lesion in his, uh, he inherited this lesion in his brain, I suppose, and he, he lived with this uh, normally, I suppose, uh, past all the, past all the uh, normal um, kind of age group marks. And uh, at about five and a half, you know, started uh, developing a little bit of a petimol uh, um, kind of seizure, which is, uh, to the listeners, just a slight seizure sometimes when the head turns and the, and the eyes move. It's not as, it's very difficult to kind of, I suppose, uh, depict. In one sense, not the not the tonic clonic or the more severe seizures, but it can be severe. And I suppose from then on, the road started for us. You know, um, how often it, does he get a seizure, Owen or Brendan? So Owen, so Owen has a seizure now. Um, he could go anything from twice to to ten times a day. You know, with Owen, unfortunately, he's uh, he's been through the realm a little bit. He's developed another condition on top of his ep- uh, kind of his current uh, epilepsy, which is an age-related form of uh, form of epilepsy called ESIS which is unfortunately a cognitive regressive um, condition. So um, it's another condition on top of that. So we are, it's a marathon, as epilepsy, uh, you know, uh, most of the time is, you know, because of you have to go to the realm of medications and you have to go to the realm of side effects and treating that. So it's, a, it's up and down, it's a marathon. And so, ten, yeah, ten, we, ten times a day, that must be very stressful. It is, it is, you know, and, and, and I think the family, the, the, the family kind of think, has really, you know, kind of, I think that's where it, it kind of takes place, really. You know, we've got a, I've got four other children, and, you know, over the years, they've kind of learned in one sense what to look out for. But even, even outer, in, into the outer circle of that, the friends, and if he had to go to a birthday party or kind of, you know, we had to go family, family friends, and they have to know what to look out for. And they slowly learn, I suppose, but it's never, it's never as easy, you know. And can you spot, or his mom spot, a seizure before it, before it comes? Are there, are there, are there signs like, there are some signs at times, you know, but again, um, being own himself, being quite erratic with his seizure activity, he can go, as I said, it's quite extensive. He can go from anything from, from, from some days, you could probably have one or two, and as I said, some days 10. There are some kind of signs, but again, unfortunately, when Owen does have a seizure, he has the, most of his seizures are drop seizures. So when he does, when he does have a seizure, he drops like a curtain. So unfortunately, yeah. uh, on top of the compounding of, of, of having the seizure, he does injure himself, yes. um, you know, and, and has some facial kind of scars to show for that. But look, it is, a, it is kind of part of the condition. And I suppose what we are is we, we look forward to hopefully, you know, kind of moving and getting something that works for him. You know, I think in any case, in the broader sense of, 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 of epilepsy, I think, as you just mentioned, rightly so now that, you know, we have some, we have people living in Ireland that have been seizures for two or three years, and, and long may that continue. So that's where we want to get to. And I suppose our, our view is to get 
own to a place where he can live independently of him of, of himself and kind of go to school. He's not going to school at the moment, but he, he was up until last year. So that's our kind of goal with him, you know. Yeah, you've had to learn, I think, as a family, probably a whole routine around watching for seizures, dealing with a seizure. I can, like you said, he he, he can hurt himself. Very much so, very much so. And on top of that, then you need the other eyes. You know, uh, my oldest is 12, you know, and they've, they don't want to put the full responsibility on them, but it's part of, I suppose, just part of their our family kind of environment now, you know, where they're looking out for Owen. We, we've, we you know, had scenarios, and I'm sure people with, with epilepsy, epilepsy doesn't just, uh, seizures just don't happen in, in a home, you know. So it mm. could happen walking through Duns, walking out of Duns, you know, in the car park, parking lot. It can happen anywhere. So we know that, I suppose in one sense, you're going to be in a place at times that you might need might need help. And even someone that hasn't got that family environment, they might just be someone walking out a walking out a shopping center and they haven't had a seizure in a while. They might just you know have a seizure right there and then. So knowing what to do then is, 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 is vastly important. Yeah, it can also be the first time you see it, it can be quite frightening to come across it. Very much so, very much so. And I think even now, you know, you never really, I suppose you can never say you can get used to it, you know. It's something that you don't want to see, and I suppose you, you, you do. And I think we've actually worked closely with the school, with this, and our, our, our own school. Um, and, and just even if you do prepare someone for it, it's not, it's not the same as actually witnessing it, the real life real life episode you know so in that time I think one of the main the main things to do is to remain calm I know it's completely the opposite because it is panic sets in and you can even see that with our own family I mean our own family that have seen our own seizures still panic you know and then run circles uh, and basically look for look for help but I suppose that's a natural that's a natural kind of instinct of us you know we, we want to help and we, we, we do go a little bit into panic mode you know it's very common and there's a lot of it out there so world international Epilepsy Day is a very important day to get the message out there. Look, it is common and we all need to be aware of the fact that it could be around us. It is, there's no doubt. International Epilepsy Day is there to create that awareness, you know. Daily awareness of, I mean, even though we know that it's there, you know, we don't know, as I said, if when it's happening and when it might come across our paths, you know. So creating this awareness of knowing how many conditions, 40,000 plus people living in Ireland alone with, with, with epilepsy, you know. No one can even fathom that number. And there would be someone close enough to someone being being the... The, the, the demographic of Ireland, you know, where you might cross paths with someone. So, as I said, you don't know when that might, you know, come come in front. And, and again, raising the awareness of people living with epilepsy on their own, the support they have, and then obviously in the family environment, if it's if it's if it's one of your children. What ways can people help to spread the awareness on today of all days? Yeah, I suppose the biggest thing is, is, is talk about it. I would say knowledge is the key there with with, with, with most things. Is to they are they are we we, we sharing on the social platforms, um, Epilepsy Island today, uh, a lot of info on, on on what you can. Just it's a case a couple of minutes to know what to do when a when a, when a seizure takes place. I suppose knowing more of the condition. I know people are probably homeschooling and you know really uh, you know tied up with a lot of things, but it just takes a couple of minutes to know just a little bit more about the condition. You know, how many people do live with a condition worldwide as well? And knowing that it's a condition that, um, you know, there's been no secret kind of remedy for, you know, the science many years ago, you know, uh, people living with epilepsy literally had to be, you know, kind of in the in the room, you know, controlled. And, and there we go. They didn't have a laugh. So more and more now people are are, are, are there and, and, and having a laugh. And the science is, is really coming each year. They, they bring out new medication and yeah. finding ways for people with these conditions to live a independent life like they should be. I know for a lot of people, some of my son's friends will have it and the difficulty is trying to find the medication that works. Did you have stress like that with Owen? 
Yes, we, we did. We did. And we, and we still, unfortunately, haven't. You know, Owen is refractory, as they call it, which means that you they are drug-resistant. He's got drug-resistant oh. res- epilepsy. So I suppose it's, it's finding other measures. We have different sets up. There's different measures, like, I mean, everything up to the kitchen and a diet to surgery to, you know, certain things you can look at, you know, for the, for, for, for the treatment. But, you know, the... the the road of, of, of medication is difficult because of the unfortunate side effects we're dealing with the brain, yeah, you know. So it is it is really a, a tricky part. So you, you, you kind of um, see and hopefully it works for the season. If not, then it's a kind of a tricky situation where you need to now wean him off the medication, him or him or her, because that also has particular side effects. So it is a it is a marathon, as they say, you know, finding the right medication. But when you do it's it's definitely I would say life changing. You know, if if you can you can help someone to have less seizures um, and a better way of life, it's, it's, it is it is as it is, is life changing. Absolutely, I wish I wish you well with it, uh, BJ. Thank you very much for speaking with us today. That's BJ Botta, formerly of of Munster Rugby back in the day, and uh, the dad of ten year old boy with epilepsy called Owen. Very very um, common these days. That's a severe case, though. He's got maybe up to 10 seizures a day. You can find out more about International Epilepsy Day and how you can help at epilepsy.ie. We are so lucky. Uh, The last time the Boy Wonder had uh, an incident, shall we say, was September of 2018. And it was that his his medication had just stopped working. And uh, we got his dose adjusted. And he's grand. He's grand, and he'll be three years seizure-free come the 22nd of September, all going well. But other people are not so lucky, but you still have to be aware of it and be mindful of it and be, and realise that he's got to take his tablets on time every day and he's got to make sure that, you know, certain things just don't happen. He's not allowed to get... We don't let him get too tired or let him get too hungry. Um, but you, that's... And, and we've had, like, what, half a dozen seizures ever, if that... It must be so hard for people to live with it. Epilepsy.ie is the website. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Unexpected spot or pimple? No problem, you're covered. Lip sync to your favourite songs without anyone ever noticing. And say goodbye to chapped lips caused by cold winter winds. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. We got an email from Lisa O'Sullivan who wanted to tell us about her cousin, Ian Brown, who sadly passed away from cancer on January the 16th after a two-and-a-half-year battle in which he really gave it his all. He was passionate about fundraising, never for himself, but always for the Mercy Hospital. Initially, initially, he was only given a very short time, but he managed to live for a further two-and-a-half years. His sister is Chloe. Chloe, good morning to you. Hi. First of all, my, my, um, my condolences on your loss. 
and it was very recent and, and, and very raw. Tell me about him. What was he like? Oh, he was brilliant. He was so positive. I think he, I have another brother as well. He's, there was three of us and then my mom and dad and Ian was definitely the most positive out of all of us. He, he got us through it more than anything and it probably should have been the other way around but he, he was brilliant. He was so positive. He was never... Like, obviously, it had to affect him, but you would have never thought, though, so. if someone didn't know him, they probably would have had no idea because he was just so happy. And so he just lived his life the best he could for the last two and a half years. Mm. He was very young. He was. He was 28. Um, when he got diagnosed, he was only 26. And he was 28 when he passed. Yeah, well, he was 25, sorry, when he got diagnosed. And he was 28 when he passed. Yeah. Now, it was a thing called sarcoma. Sarcoma, yeah. So it's a, it's a really rare cancer. It was in his muscles. Um, so initially it was in the muscle, the muscle of his bowel, but it started to spread then over time. So must have been very painful for him, was it? He never complained. I think he must have been in pain, and at the start he he never wanted to take painkillers. He never wanted he wanted to do it all himself. But after a while, he did need the painkillers. But he he would never tell us he was in pain even up until the end. He, my um, my brother's girlfriend was the only one that he would actually tell he was in pain, and he'd be like, "Hey, don't tell." me or my brother and my mom or dad he just he didn't want to worry anybody at all yeah and um, he was initially the doctors weren't were, were saying that he would only have a few months but yeah he um well he at the beginning he, he was actually on holidays when he got diagnosed he went to, to see my parents in their holiday home in Alicante and it was when he got there he was very weak and he had lost a lot of weight and everything so he went to the doctor over there and in like only a matter of hours they had said look I think there's some, there's a tumour or something there you should go home and get checked so he came home we tried out a few places at the start they were saying like three months and no treatment at all but he went to the Mercy um, and Derek Perry was his doctor and he was he never gave him a time frame after like, Ian had been told like probably between six weeks to three months and when he went to the Mercy there was no time frame at all it was just which I think probably helped him so much because he was just living every day as it came and he never worried about there was no countdown or anything you know he went through chemotherapy and radium and everything and he he would be so sick but never complained about it he was just he was just happy to have the time that he got and the fundraising that's he started doing that immediately he did he he would could donate money all the time. He signed up to give money to Mercy Monthly and he was doing the Giving for Living Radiothon and everything. And then for his birthday, his, his last birthday, his 28th birthday, he set up a fundraiser on Facebook and he made, I think, €4,170 and he had only asked for 150 He wanted it for a counselling session for, for somebody with cancer in the hospital. And when the fundraiser started growing he said look I'd love to get um, I'd love to make enough money to get a chemotherapy chair which I think he said was like 3,000 and he got 4,170 so he had said then that he wanted to try to do it you know for his next birthday and for all these big events but unfortunately he he passed before that could happen so my family and I set up a fundraiser um, just last week it's only been going on for a week now um, for the mercy it's we're aiming to do 300,000 steps each for the month of February and 
like Ian, we set it up for 150 euro. Now we thought we'd, we said, you know, amongst ourselves, we'll probably get a bit more, but we thought just from other people on Facebook or whatever, we'd get the 150. But on, I think it was Thursday, it was World Cancer Day anyway, we reached 10,000 euro on the fundraiser. So we were blown away by that and we were thinking, God, he's definitely looking down on us now the day that it was and everything. Um, And I think at the moment, the fundraiser is at like 13,000. It's amazing. Like it's, we're blown away by it, by all the support from it. So, so you're you're doing the three hundred thousand steps across the month. Yeah, for the month. Yeah, each of us are trying to get three hundred thousand for the month of February. So, it's tough, but we're we're trying our best. How about uh, ten thousand? That's well, three hundred. Hang on, that's that's just over ten thousand a day. How long is ten thousand yeah. steps? How long is that? Well, it's, I try to go for a walk every day, and we're kind of struggling. We're we might be cheating a small, but we're all kind of going on the treadmill and stuff, trying to reach up our steps at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, up and down the stairs a few times to try and yeah. build them up. <laughs> but you've got incredible success already. Now, if anybody wants to donate, where can they go? It's on Facebook. So it's on my Facebook page. My name on Facebook is Chloe Diana, and it's called 300,000 Steps for the Month of February in Memory of Ian Brown. Okay. Listen, good luck with it. Again, condolences on your loss. He sounds like he was a fantastic young man. Thank you. And you'll, and you'll do him very, very proud with this fundraiser. Thank you very much. Chloe Brown, 1850-715-996. We were going down to Ballycotton one day last year to take a look out at this MV Alta. It was the ghost ship that just washed up out of nowhere with a very strange history. This big floating hulk, a piece of industrial junk that landed plunked itself down on the cliffs of Ballycotton last year and is still there. And according to the newspaper, it looks like it might end up being there for a long time to come because trying to get it lifted off it is fraught with danger and we don't know who to chase to do it. Or do we? Do we know any more about it than we did this time last year? Kieran McCarthy is a maritime lawyer. Kieran, good morning to you. Morning, TJ. How are you doing? Good. Like, it's a big, ugly hulk of a thing, and it, we seem to be stuck with it. Remind listeners again of the history of this thing. Yes. Um, yeah, it arrived on our shores um, around about this time last year. Um, previous to that, it had last been seen, well, it had last been seen with people on it in uh, September, October 2018 in Bermuda. It had a crew of 10 people that had reportedly broken down at that stage. Um, Tropical Storm Leslie was uh, heading towards it at the time and these people, the 10 men on board, were uh, were airlifted off um, or they were actually uh, taken off by uh, by Coast Guard um, Cutter the Confidence, having previously been given food supplies uh, by air. So... um, it got a kind of murky then. There were tales of it being uh, towed to Guyana or somewhere uh, by the persons representing the owners. Um, there was a claim that it um, got hijacked by pirates. Um, and then the next thing we know of it was in August of 2019 when the Royal Navy intercepted it in, uh, in the mid-Atlantic. And, uh, and then, yeah, on the 16th of February last year, it popped up on, on our shore. Do we know who owns it? Nope, we don't. Um, it's, it has a long history. It's a, it's, it's a very, very old ship. Um, it was built in 1976. It was known as the Tananger then, and it operated around Norway for 
what you would expect to have been its uh, useful life. So it was Norwegian flagged that is registered in Norway until about uh, the year 2000, 1999 or something like that. At that stage, really, it would have been uh, not a very valuable ship anymore. And it, it slipped through um, the sort of ranks of owners and various flags. Um, the last report we have of it, or as regards the ownership of it, was uh, by a Tanzanian um, outfit with the same name as the ship. And that's never really a good sign, PJ, to Is be honest it? with you. Why it's not? not? No, because it would tend to suggest that the, that the ship is the, the only asset of the, the company that owned it. Um, right. And the, you know, uh, uh, you know, as in they, it would suggest they don't, they don't have the means to, you know, to deal with this thing. Um, and um, we don't really know who these uh, owners were. It, it seems to have been a company that was registered uh, reportedly in Tanzania. The, the possibility of finding out the actual people behind it is very remote, to be honest with you. So so what do we do? Do we just let it there until nature takes it off the cliffs or will, will nature ever take it off the cliffs? We, we don't know. We simply don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, the time to have acted was last year, was this time last year. Um, the governing legislation is the Merchant Shipping Salvage, Salvage and Wreck Act 1993. Mm. And that gives power to the Minister for um, uh, Eamon Ryan, now Minister Ryan, um, to, um, to appoint a person called Receiver of the Wreck who essentially is responsible for the mess, you know, to try and find the owner, if at all possible, to try and find them within a year, um, to collect whatever monies they owe uh, for, you know, for, 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 super, for the superintendents of the wreck off them and for um, ultimately returning or, or selling the wreck um, and giving the balance to them. But sure, That's it's probably really, worthless at this stage, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's not an issue here. I mean, to be honest, I mean that that ship it was well beyond its um, it was well beyond its useful lifetime. Um, it, looking at, at at ships, similar ships with similar sort of uh, you know equipment on board, it would have been worth about four hundred grand. The rumour is that the council is already after spending two hundred grand just to remove barrels of oil yeah. off it. Um, it's still you know it, it's 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 a massive unknown. And it's is it safe it. where it is out there? We don't know. Uh, we simply don't know. This is this is the thing. Um, it's um, you know we 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 know very little about this thing. Uh, about what it's you know certainly we we can say with certainty that there's still marine gas oil. That's a sort of diesel w- within its tanks, and right. these tanks will, will will broach, and that gas oil will get out. Now it might only be small amounts. Well, we can say that with certainty. Um, other issues would be its ballast tanks. Um, these are um, like big tanks within the ship that are that are filled up with seawater. You know, when it loads or discharges cargo in order to you know to, to make it stable. Mm. And and these can carry things like these are very well known vectors of all sorts of nasties from around the world because they act as perfect goldfish bowls essentially to take something from one area of the world and then discharge it into another. Yeah. So we have things like the the Chinese mitten crab. We have an infestation of those reported in Waterford, which came from exactly these things, ballast tanks. Other things that can, I mean, these you know, things like malaria and stuff have been transported in them as well. So there is that, that risk as well. Now, it's been there for a while, I suppose, so but yeah. we don't know. You, you would think that the most desirable thing to do is just tow the blaster thing out to sea and sink it. Absolutely, absolutely. But the, the time for doing that should have been uh, this time last year when it would have been doable. 
um, you know, to, what you would need to do it is you would need specialist um, wreck removers, um, and they do exist in the world. Uh, we've seen them in operation, sadly, uh, with the Costa Concordia and other ships over, over the recent years. But the thing to have done would have been to have specialised tugs there then to repair whatever damage was done to the ship uh, in terms of its, 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 uh, its hull. Uh, perhaps, um, you know, prepare some sort of a concrete slip to, to, to move it off and move it off there and then. Mm-hmm. But we didn't do that. And for every day and week and month that we leave it there, it becomes a little bit less um, it becomes a little bit less seaworthy and a little bit more difficult and more expensive to do that. And I guess, you know, you could, you could talk about the thing breaking up and ultimately that will happen. Um, but, you know, we, we don't know what's in this thing. Um, I mean, it was built in 1976. It will have, it will have um, insulation within its, its accommodation spaces. We simply don't know what that insulation is. It could be asbestos, it could not be, it could be anything. One way or another, we don't want it breaking up. But this is, it's indicative of Ireland's, you know, real failure to address our maritime issues because there is, um, there is a convention which deals exactly with this type of issue, with getting rid of a, a wreck, you know, dealing with this expense. It's called the 2007 Nairobi Convention on Wreck Removal. It came into force in 2015, um, and basically what it does, it means that if, if, a, sh- if a ship is um, if it's registered in one country and it becomes a wreck in another country, which is a, which is a sub- subscriber, a signatory to the convention, well, then the, the, the second country contacts the first country and they get on to the owner and they fix them with the cost of removing the thing. Also, it, it insists that there's compulsory insurance to take it off the rocks as well or, mm-hmm. or deal with it in whatever way. We haven't signed it. Um, you know, so we can't really complain uh, when, we, you know, when, we, when we don't actually sign yeah. up to international law. The, 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 the worry you face, I think, Kieran, really, is that there will be another massive storm which will blow. I mean, imagine if an Ophelia hit now, mm-hmm. and that thing is there, it'll come off the rocks and break up, and Lord alone knows where the wreckage will go. Absolutely, uh, that that is a very real danger. Um, we don't know what's going to happen to it. Um, it's it's a dead ship now. All its beacons are switched off. Uh, its batteries are dead. The you know the the last I suppose uh, reading of its beacon we had was in 2018 when it was headed for Greece. So everything is gone. Um, if that thing comes off the rocks in either hole or in bits, we have absolutely no control over it. It could end up anywhere. It's a mess. Um, it's down to poor superintendents, uh, down to poor legislation, and, and ultimately it's going to cost us. It has cost us already because of the position that it's in under the 1993 Act, it's the responsibility of the local authority, uh, Cork County Council, as such. If it had been a little bit further down the coast, it would be the responsibility of um, of the Port of Cork. But either way, I mean, this is something that, um, that there's nothing in the legislation to, to, to for the for, for this authority to recover the money, except from the owners. And look, let's be honest here. Um, there's no find them. Pop up. Yeah. Yeah. So, in other words, we have this dirty. Dangerous eyesore, planked in Valley Cotton. A bit. It was a bit of a tourist attraction for all the wrong reasons. It could be again, come the summer. But we're only one storm away from it being a disaster. Absolutely. That, that, that's it in a nutshell. And yes, uh, yeah, young fellas were climbing on board and whatever else, which is an offence, by the way, under, under the legislation interfering with a, with a wreck. Um, you, you know, we. we Let alone be ridiculously dangerous. 
ridiculously dangerous. You know, you, you know, you had these YouTube um, recordings and stuff like that. Ridiculously dangerous, absolutely ridiculously dangerous. And we had, uh, I suppose, we had pleasure boats going around, uh, which is uh, totally safe, of course, to uh, you know to, to view us during mm. the summer. But um, but yeah, this is not a good thing. And it's, it's not pretty. I mean, I, there is a, there is a wreck. As you drive um, along the coast of Lanzarote, along between um, between Puerto del Carmen and Teguise and Lanzarote, as you drive along, there is a wreck there in the harbour. It has been sitting there, someone told me one time, since the 70s, because they didn't know what to do with it. That's the last thing we want down off Ballycotton, is this blasted thing sitting there forever. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, as you say, it's... it's you know, we can forget all of these romantic notions of Pirates of the Caribbean and Jolly Johnny Depp swinging around the place and stuff. This is just, this is junk. This is an environmental and a safety problem. Um, it's something that we, we really should be, it's an unusual circumstance, let's, let's be honest. But we should have been able to deal with this as, as a maritime nation, like which is so dependent on trade for shipping. Uh, you know, we're, we, we depend on, on, on shipping for absolutely everything. Yeah. And, you know, we've got new shipping routes coming in now after Brexit, directly from France to Cork. And, you know, we can't even do the basics. We can't even just remove this fairly small ship off our rock. It's a bit of an indictment away. of our system, isn't it? It, it absolutely is an indictment. It's a very sad indictment. And, you know, it's, yes, I mean, it speaks to problems within the entire maritime sphere in Ireland in terms of safety, in terms of everything. I mean, the fact that people might not realise it, but the European Court of, um, Court of Justice of the European Union um, found, uh, had a, a damning judgment against us in the summer um, because of the, you know, the failures within our, our maritime safety investigative um, body. They found that it simply, it was investigating itself, basically. So this is, this is another aspect of us, you know. I mean, we have, we have very brave people going out in the Coast Guard, etc., um, rescuing people at sea and putting their lives at risk. And, and we simply don't have the infrastructure to support them behind them. And, you know, as you say, like, this, is, this is indicative of us, the fact that we have this thing on our rocks and a year later, and it's still there. And a seafaring nation. It doesn't make sense, does it? Kieran? thank you very much. Kieran McCarthy, a maritime lawyer. The MV Alta, it's been there nearly a year. Nothing done about it. We, we can't do anything about it. And if we try to drag it out to sea and sink it, we can't. And it would cost too much. It's an absolute mess. I was down there one Sunday last summer that you were allowed to go down. And it's like it's even in the most romantic day, even in the most brilliant sunshine, it's a big, ugly, rusting hulk of a thing. It's an eyesore. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. I've got all the tunes you need to race you through Monday afternoon. There's no Monday blues down here. Everything Cork and I'll keep you company while you're at work. See you for midday on Cork's 96F. I asked people for their thoughts on the general election, which was this day last year. Uh, it was voting day. And what a strange set of results we threw up. This last year, says this call, has seen many vital, life-changing, life-saving decisions. Yet we only have an input every four years or so. I think there should be an assembly every year on the performance of the government, that the government would have to address the results and maybe that would sharpen them up. The results of each of the four years could also be referred to at the next election 
as a reference for the issues to prevent governments going for feel-good policies coming up to election time. Eh, National Assembly, not a bad idea. Some, that's some, some countries do that. They have a kind of a recall system where you're going to come here, you, we give you a job, you're not doing it kind of thing. I voted for a young fella for the first time in my life in the last election. He said the new generation were going to be different. He said we would not give in to the party machine. He said he cared passionately about the people and about the country. My vote was stolen. He, was, he has never voted against the party. He has voted for uncompassionate responses to the housing crisis, which he specifically told me he would not do. The whole lot of them have made a shambles out of the pandemic, not taking the most basic steps to contain it that you or I would have done. I am now more disillusioned with politicians than ever before. If the government really cared about the people dying in the pandemic, they would have adverts like the way you do for road traffic accidents, anti-smoking advertisements, HPV shots and all that, humanising the victims and their families. Instead, all we get is an attitude of ash or they're kind of old or kind of sick anyway. So clearly a whole not, not a whole lot of people too happy with the result of the election from this day last year. Listen, bit of fun to finish with good news story it's a nice happy story I, I can't imagine what it must have been like trying to find a Burmese cat and no sign of it uh, Emily good morning to you morning Barney is a beautiful boy he is he's <laughs> gorgeous and he's a big lad he well he's not so much anymore he's lost nearly a kilo in weight really when did yeah. he go missing so about three weeks ago what we, happened um, we uh, had our boilers serviced and um, the guy who was servicing our boilers left at about 5 o'clock in the evening and that was fine and uh, Barney just didn't come back in. He does go out and about but he didn't come back in and my initial thought was, oh God, has he got into the back of the van? Yeah. So that evening we did, we texted our uh, boiler service guy and asked him had he seen uh, Barney and he said no. And um, and then what pursued was me roaming the streets of Douglas and Donnybrook and Maryborough Hill uh, looking for him, asking anybody anywhere if they had seen him. Because um, he's an unusual cat, he's not your normal common or garden moggy, he's particularly distinctive. <laughs> Yeah, he is. He's he's a Burmese, a purebred Burmese, and uh, he's also an indoor cat. He does go out a little bit every now and again, mm. uh, just to go around the garden. But he he doesn't go far, and he doesn't have a collar. But um, which kind of hindered us, I guess, because if he had a collar and someone had found him, they could have called me. But uh, we use social media. We use Monster Lost and Found, who are amazing. Um, and we he's microchipped. So I was just praying that if somebody did find him, mm-hmm. that they'd bring him to a vet and and. They'd call us. Where did he turn up? Uh, Bantry. <laughs> Bantry? In Bantry, if you can believe it. Which then, it was so two and a half weeks later, and what it transpired then is that he must have got under the chassis of um, the boiler man's van and uh, hitched a ride down to Bantry. Cats have a habit of doing that, that climb up into the body of the car for the heat. I know, and um, it, it was my feeling that that is what had happened because it all just seemed too coincidental that he went kind of missing or walkabout on the day that um, that our boy guy was there. But uh, yeah, he didn't see him obviously because he was underneath the car and must have either had traffic lights or something just hopped down. <laughs> God, and he so, wandered yeah. all the way down to West Cork. And all the way down to who West Cork. found him? 
So a lovely Dutch couple um, said that he appeared on the windowsill and didn't stop meowing until they let him in. And he, um, they brought him in, fed him something. I think it was macros they had. It's quite funny. And then brought him to the local vet in Bantry who looked after him, called me straight away because he's microchipped. So all my details were on there. And... Um, and yeah, I went down and got him. Broke mm. the 5K rules. Did get stopped by a guard actually, which was, um, which was lovely because she was actually really understanding. <laughs> well, how did that conversation go? I'm going down to collect me cat. <laughs> it was quite funny. It was actually, I got stopped on the on the way down, but just kind of waved through. And on the way back, she stopped me and um, she said, "So where are you going to or from?" And I said, well, "I'm actually from Douglas, but I don't think you're going to believe my story." And she said, "It was kind Try of like she, yeah, exactly. She'd heard every story under the sun." And she said, try me. And I showed her Barney and I said, he actually was found down in battery. Um, and she just laughed. She was lovely. She was just so understanding and said, I'm just so glad you got him back. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was good. Burmese cats, for people who wouldn't be cat people, they're an unusual kind of a cat. They're a bit like a Maine Coon in that they behave more like a puppy. So they are. They're known as the dogs of cats. They're they're extremely bright. Uh, one of we've got two of them, and the female one actually. If you throw her a bell, she goes. She fetches it. She brings it back to you. Drops it in front of you. Um, when you go to feed them, you can tell them to sit, and they'll sit beside you and wait until you uh, give them their food. And they're kind of uh, the uh, opposite of what most people think cats are. They want to be around yeah. humans the whole time. So they'll come to you and be around you, sit on you, follow you around. Um, so actually when one does go missing you really notice it in the house it's quiet yeah yeah, yeah. and they make noise they're <laughs> they shout yeah they do they talk they talk a lot um, which is nice ours aren't too chatty I think Siamese uh, by nature are, are chattier these guys kind of just chat when, when they need to if they're hungry or they want to get out or something like that <laughs> yeah, yeah so I mean he should listen he, he's, he should have his own Instagram he's gorgeous <laughs> he is gorgeous I have to say but it was really fun because he was he was shared so much on social media all over Facebook and Instagram and everything and because he's so distinctive I would walk the streets kind of and you know stop people at a distance obviously and show them the photo of Barney and they'd say no you've already asked us last week (laughs) you know they recognise him or they'd say oh he's the guy on Facebook or see the guy on all the posters so it was lovely that he was being seen and kind of um, noticed Come here before I let you go you even went to a cat medium there is such a thing? There is such a thing. <laughs> but it was desperate times. It was desperate times. And I just thought I need I need something to sort of keep me going through this to try and... Because everyone, everyone kept saying to me, don't give up hope. You know, our cat came back after two years. Our came back after three weeks. And um, it's just, he's not a natural wanderer. So I was like, I, I'm not sure if he is going to come back. And it was my sister actually who suggested um, that I try a cat medium and see whether or not um, it would work. And they do. They tune into the energy of the cat. And um, it's all, I think if you're going to commit to it, you've got to commit to it. <laughs> I was sceptical. Um, um, but what you did do was keep my faith alive or you know keep yeah. my faith going that he was alive and you that he was somewhere you found him in the end and that's all that matters Emily thank you very much and our best to you and our best to Barney and the family Barney the Burmese gorgeous little cat not that little either that's it for this morning programme today edited by Terry Brennan produced and researched by Fergal Barry put your podcast up in the afternoon remember you catch up on anything you missed in our afternoon podcast goes up first on Twitter and then goes up on other platforms, including the Cork's 96FM app. Paul wonders, why didn't the Royal Navy sink the Alta out in the Atlantic if there was nobody on board? And 
you couldn't sharpen the government up, you'd sharpen a pencil up faster. Says the last comment of the day. That's it, we shall see you tomorrow just after nine. Leave you with cranberries and linger. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>